What's up, everybody? Late night edition again. No Max Effect. JR Todd. Sean Langdon. Got some special guests in the house. Yeah. Big time guests. <laughs> Brian Loans. Yeah. David Freiberger. Here. Shit is going to get real. <laughs> it's going to get something. This is exciting, man. This is a, this is a little different change of pace. We're used to uh, you interviewing us. Now we're going to interview you. Yeah, right. I like it. I'm feeling the flow already. It's you good. thought we were drivers, now we're media. I like it. No, that's that's a very good switch. We're, good le- we're learning. It's on the fly. Your yeah. staffers were out at many races this year, so the staffers Correct. Keeping, You're right. You know, they got the night off, if you stuff. couldn't tell. Yeah, no. I we sent them home early. Notice. Yeah. So Yeah, social media guys went home. So uh, you guys are in Indy. What, what do you got going on this weekend? Obviously, PRI show. You guys coming out. Do you have anything... Uh, Special lined up for this weekend? or Yeah, doing some stuff on the NHRA stage, and then David and I are both part of this thing called Masters of Motors that JE Business does. So it's a uh, – for this show, it makes way more sense. Like, we did it at SEMA, too, but, like, SEMA is a lot about, you know, styling and wheels. stance and wheels and undercar and neon. deflectors. And, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hula girls on the dashboard. <laughs> but here at, at PRI, it's a lot about performance. So it's a basically uh, an award show. Uh, built around engines yeah i mean there's different categories i don't know if you even realize this but we set up the categories differently there's like drag racing circle track uh there's actually a show and shine award so it's going to be interesting to see what je has to offer us when we walk into the booth tomorrow morning at by the way 8 a.m yeah the show doesn't even start till nine yeah we'll be there at eight (laughs) you'll you'll see us at about 11 (laughs) base access yeah yeah, I, f- I feel that that's a little uh, that's a little excessive. That's a little early. Well, you want to get in there and look at a three hundred and fifty five inch small block Chevy that's in a stock car at eight a.m. before all the you, swinging well, assholes are there. After right? you Breaking drank news. most of the night, you want to be up most of the night, and they'll go, "Hey, look, it's an iron headed small block Chevy." Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next engine. <laughs> Well, I feel if there's any day to be there at 8 a.m., that, that's going to be tomorrow. Because right. after tomorrow, you're going to have oh, you know, all the, the parties. Nobody's going to be there at 8 a.m. Nobody's no, going to be there at 8 a.m. Listen, the greatest time to go to the PRI show, like if you can muster it in your own kind of uh, intestinal fortitude, show up when the show opens on Saturday morning and all the horrible uh, – the horrible looks on the faces of the people that have to be there at that time. Like the guys that have been out since three o'clock in the morning, everybody wearing sunglasses. I'm sure they, I'm sure so, they don't smell. Either. No, yeah. the guy pitching the, the demolition derby <laughs> drive shafts that is, has been drunk until 4am. So, like he's totally in the mood at that point. As defined by everyone at the show Saturday morning. Right. Yeah. I don't want to pack this shit. I'm taking it home. Get right, it out of here. Right. PRI on, on Saturday morning is the Armageddon of humanity. It's the day after the bomb is struck. You're just you're just trying to get through the next day. It's not good. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I don't even try to attempt going on Saturday. I do my deal Thursday, and then we go a half day on Friday, and then you know Saturday. That That's your recovery day. Yeah. Oh, do you go out Thursday night and Friday night? Uh, <laughs> maybe. Huh. It's weird. I've never seen you out. <laughs> you just didn't remember. So, he signs hero cards at the White Castle next to the Red Garden down there. That's what he does. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that area. <laughs> the only thing good at White Castle is the mozzarella sticks. Yeah. Well, it's the, a the, landmark this year because we have loans actually signing autographs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. this is, this is yeah. a big deal. Do you yeah. have, like, uh, portraits? 
I do. And uh, if you see the size of my head, yeah, they're, they're uh, 11 by 40. Nice. To cover my actual size of my Irish head. So it's good. Yeah, it's good. I see that uh, Richie Crampton just signed in the show. In case, for those that can't hear, obviously, see, we got some guests here in the house, or the studio, I should say. Richie Crampton, Johnny Lemberg. Somewhere there's Nikki Bonifani. They're sitting watching on their phones yeah. rather than looking at us live. Yeah, Where's they the just look over to? here, right? S- hey, send they're, in your questions. They're <laughs> admiring not only the fireplace, but also the well-decorated Christmas tree. What are you guys watching on TV? Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights. <laughs> Harlem Nights. <laughs> Some classic Richard Pryor. Yeah, All right, so we just got back from uh, the Riley's bowling event, which went well, I think, huh? Yeah, yeah it was fun. We bowled against... Uh, you guys, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, he says it went well oh. as, as the actual guy who dominated the I entire event. I think Richie beat me. <laughs> Richie did not beat you. Yeah, so that that was a. Oh yeah, he's he's uh, cutting in. Um, so that that was a pretty cool event that DSR puts on every year yeah. uh, for Riley's Children's Hospital. Um, they obviously have a lot of the drivers come out. They have uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of kids of, out there as well. A lot which of, was cool. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the kids, and and obviously it's. That's a great event, man. That's I, I think it's it's cool that they do that every year. You guys had some actually great ideas about that, you know, as far as like trying to how to how to drum up some more people getting there and and uh, getting some sponsors there. And but a lot of people coming out for the PRI show this weekend. Yeah, I think uh, between Dave and I, I think for like going forward for next year, it'd be cool for the two of us because both of us do a lot of stuff like inside the hot rod industry, like. That place is massive. Never been to the event before, but that place is like the insane. You know, like uh, Dallas Airport of bowling alleys. There's like yeah. 700 lanes. There's a ton of aftermarket companies that should be on every one of those lanes that would send four or five guys to hang out and have oh, fun. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Who, who had the high game tonight? Did I don't think they ever for... announced it. So it's kind of a, like you said, like a participation game. Like nine pins counts as a strike, which we all know that's a bullshit way of getting a strike. Well, yeah. Well, last but... year I, saw, I shot a 300 doing that. I don't want to toot my own horn. <laughs> just say but he does. But he just we had we had we had. Only does he win championships? We had opening night of league last night, so that was a lot of bowling already. And Richie actually he did good tonight. Oh, Richie was the man tonight. Yeah, he had like two thirty and another two hundred. Oh man. Yeah, Richie was. How'd on you our guys team, end up bowling? Without Richie, we would have been absolutely nothing because loans, by the way. Is the worst bowler in the history of mankind. Right. If I, he you has discount that, Johnny Lindbergh. He had that gutter John, dialed Johnny in. Johnny is, in fact, worse for the, than loads. Well, okay, <laughs> listen. Did for, any of you break 100? Well, hold on. for I broke 20 miles an hour. 160. The only guy. <laughs> I broke 20 miles an they hour. They start going I, for speed. What, yeah. what I did was I, spent high, I set high speed of the meat. And so these Wait, guys. No. Were, these guys. No. I'm trying to change the game. Right? I'm trying to move right. away from. We've done pins for how many? What? 500 That's years. That's caveman shit. Bold. Like, it's over with. This is a game of speed. And so I, I went to 20 miles an you hour. You went 20 miles an hour into the gutter. That's exactly. like crossing the center line. Exactly. That does count. Right. Yeah, Listen, no. Al Hoffman won the 1997 Gator Nationals on fire, was resuscitated next to the racetrack. And still got the Wally. Yeah, so well, I nobody's going to resuscitate you. No one cares. I didn't have to be resuscitated. Loans. Like I feel as though I feel as though my accomplishment is equivalent to that. I feel I think we did the right things. No, your opinion is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked. I mean, I, I Hoover level Electrovax level sucked. It was bad. Yeah, I, no, I thought you were like... talking about Tom Hoover for a second. I didn't know. What no, you were I'm, I'm about. a vacuum level sucking okay, here. Got yeah. it. Yeah. No, I feel like we should have. They should have had some like trick shots going on too. Right. Well, I could have excelled there. Yeah. <laughs> Some overhand shot put distance. Right. 
Dude, but this was a big year for that. Some IndyCar drivers out there. Alexander Rossi. I didn't okay. realize it was the 100th uh, running of the 500 I mean, that's pretty big. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. That's that's pretty cool, man. That's some media outlets out there. So like you said, you guys get more companies like that involved. Like, they'll raise some money. Yeah, I feel like we can definitely help. Well, that. Like that thing should be that thing should be blown out. Well, yeah, they yeah. they how much did they end up raising? I, I think they they said that they announced it a hundred and two grand at the prior event at DSR. And right. I don't, I don't know what they did tonight, yeah. but wow. so far yeah. I think just on their own DSR has raised what six hundred thousand. That's they said? what they yeah. said. Yeah. No kidding. Yep. Ah, oh, that that's awesome. That's that's a great way to I mean give back and and uh, especially like you know holiday season. I mean, there's there's so many good things about that stuff. Like, what's cool at home is, like, at in Boston, like, the Jimmy Fund is a huge thing. Like, the Jimmy Fund at Mass General Hospital uh, is a, you know, it's a childhood cancer thing, but it's been around forever. So right. the Red Sox and a bunch of the teams at home raised money for the Jimmy Fund. So it was cool to see what, to me, it was cool to see what Indy has, which is the the Riley deal is, like, really what you guys yeah. are centered around. So it's, it's very good. Yeah, right. it's, it's neat. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, all the football players and... A lot of the celebrities get behind it here in town. It's probably the biggest thing they got going. So it's for a good cause. And see the kids come out to the track. Like they're always happy to be out there hanging out. And Tommy Johnson runs that body. They're in the U.S. Nationals. So good way for them to give back. All right. Let's talk about you, your new position. What? New job. Yeah. Big time Sprawled, celebrity status. Sprawled on the floor. <laughs> Spread eagle. No, it's cool. It's uh, really excited. Um, been spending a lot of time talking to Tony. We're going to spend a lot of time together this this winter working on stuff as, in terms of the two of us. I think there's a really concerted effort to take what is going on with the show and move it in a in a in a new direction in terms of like building depth and building kind of what the sport is to the to the fans that are watching. So I think for years building depth and drag racing has been about the tech of the cars, which you cannot get away from that. Like the, the, the stuff that's going on in the cars needs to be explained to the fans. Sure. But at the end of the day to actually move the sport ahead and to give the sport the size and scope that we want, it's about the effort and the people that are involved. But Brian, you haven't actually explained what your new position is. Spell it out, man. Also, I'm the new lead play-by-play guy for NHRA. Thank you. So it'll be there you on, go. On there Fox. you go. Yeah. So Tony and Pedrick, Tony Pedregon and I will be the two guys in the booth next year, and uh, it, the new voice of NHRA right here. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. You but need a shirt that, that says way. that I'm the voice of NHRA. Oh, I haven't. He does. Voice of drag. Hashtag voice of drag racing. Yes. I hired this skywriting plane, but I didn't realize how dark it got. Right. Yeah. You got to do it very early. You got to get that shit early in the day, man. It was a very bad expenditure on my part, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be good, and I think it's going to be good for a lot of reasons. And um, Dave Reeve, who is the guy that I'm effectively replacing, called me the day after the announcement was made, and we had a good conversation and. It was uh, it was cool. Dave's a pro. Dave's been a pro for many years, and it was, uh, you know, my phone rang, and I know one guy that lives in Nebraska, basically, and it's Dave. Right, exactly. And yeah. so it was not the most comfortable phone call to take, right? Sure. Your phone rings, and you're like, oh, God. It's going to go one of two ways. Right. <laughs> and, and neither of them are good. Yeah. <laughs> so right. It went the least bad of the two ways, and I mean that in a positive direction. The guy yes. was... He was cool. He was um, supportive, and he was obviously disappointed that he's not coming back. But at the same time, he was, you know, uh, said some cool stuff and wished me well. So That's good. good. Yeah. I, I like just, you know, from talking to you and texting back and forth, like your heroes, 
who you look up to, like Dave Mack, sure. Steve Evans. Like, I feel like you like have a combination of all those guys. Like, you're trying to bring that into what you're doing, right or wrong? Those, no, I think it's right. I, I, I was talking to Brett Kepner today, or today and yesterday, and you know, Brett Kepner is uh, the guy's awesome, a, dude. The guy's a legend, and right. you know, uh, doubling back on another point, West Buck had a thing. West Buck did this cool kind of hot take thing. I don't know if you saw this, you guys saw this thing, this hot take on. Uh, why there's a lot of attention being paid to old guys instead of the guys that are yes. you know, present. And for me, like, you know, for me, I get to, I get to talk to Brett. I get to talk to John Lumberg. I get, I get to talk to Dave McClellan and the guy that comes behind me or becomes 10 years doesn't have that opportunity. So, right. You know, to, to talk to Wes's point, we're, we're in this moment in drag race, and we talked, David, we talked about this at dinner tonight. We're in this moment in our sport where, you know, football, baseball, basketball went through the same moment we're going through right now. Like this, this period of the next five to ten years where the people that actually founded what we do are not going to be around. And for me to be able to have a relationship with all those guys, for David McClellan to call me last week – that's awesome. And yeah. wish me well and say a bunch of stuff that I, I would never in my life ever expected to be a kid. Eight years old on my living room floor watching American Sports Cavalcade with my dad to have David Clone call up and say a bunch of cool stuff. It's mind-boggling. And the guy that comes next doesn't get that. Right. Correct. Yeah. No, he gets to call Brian Lones. Exactly. Well, and, 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 so that, and that's basically what McClellan told me. Right. And it's the most bizarrely humbling thing that'll ever happen to you. It's it's crazy. We can make Brian cry if we try a little bit. It's getting really. close anyway. <laughs> but it's the same thing as it's the same thing as as Prudhomme calling you. Correct. It's the same thing as it's the same thing as Garlitz or anybody that's won a top field championship calling you. It's it's right. All these people, you, me, David, everybody has a role in this sport. And so when the people that you've looked up to or done something to not emulate or, or you're trying to make your own path but something you these people that you respect talk to you it's crazy and it, it, you get that phone call and you kind of sit there on the phone call and you and you're just you're you're talking but you're kind of like the whole time thinking in the back of your head is this really happening right yeah why are you exactly. why are you calling and me then, and then exactly you, and then you get off the phone and then you're thinking man i sounded like a complete idiot that whole time no, I, didn't even, I didn't even know what to say right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's no words but for us, for the for the four guys sit at this table, we are the last people that will get to have that connection to the people that really set the foundation for what our sport is. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You know, ten years from now, God willing, ten years from now, God willing, Don Perdome calls the guy who wins a funny car championship and says congratulations. But that's probably not going to be the case. Don Garlitz is what eighty three, eighty five years old. Right. Right. You know. Which had a great speech, by the way, this year at the banquet. That was, I mean, incredible. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. I try to pride myself on knowing a lot of stuff, and that story about about uh, Hogan. the one about Hogan about yeah. Hogan's dad. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, where's he going with this? I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, the yeah. connection with Hogan's right. dad was insane, and then the connection with Hogan was incredible. Right, mind-boggling. Right, it yeah. was so good for anybody that hasn't watched. I don't. They, where did they put that out? They have the it's on YouTube. The interviews on YouTube. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you can check that out on YouTube. But uh, yeah, excellent speech. I mean, obviously Don Garlis, he's got all the best stories. I mean, 
But like when he started going down the road about it, like a, he tells all the stuff and you know. So can I give you some? I'll give you a background story, then I'll tell you the story. So U.S. Nationals, my first year announcing the U.S. Nationals was like 2014 or 2015 or something, and so I'm down there to do the cackle fest, and so they're pushing all the cars off the track, so they're trying to kill some time. So they said, go over and talk to Garland. So okay, so I run over there with my bike, and he's sitting in the car. I'm walking past. I'm like, Don, that was amazing. You know, you're in the car. You won the 67, you know, U.S. Nationals in or 68 U.S. Nationals in, blah blah blah. And he goes, he starts going on this rant of, yeah, well, I'm going to do this electric thing because the government's going to put us out of business. <laughs> oh, he goes, he goes straight down, you know, crazy, you know, conspiracy right. theorist boulevard. So my earpiece starts going off. They're like, shut him up, shut him down. You, you got to get off this. <laughs> you got to get off this. And I'm like, oh, I'm not getting off Don Garland. like, I'm not pulling. I'm like, right. so we walk off the thing. So when he started going into his story at the banquet, I'm thinking, oh boy, like this might get weird, <laughs> but it didn't. And it was spectacular, and and he talks about you know Richard Hogan's dad, you know yeah. how he idolized Hogan's dad as a kid, right. and you know wanted to do this, and then Hogan works for him, and then he tells the story about his crew chief, but the crew chief wasn't really a crew chief with Garlitz; he was just a helper. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good position yeah. to be in. And he fired the guy, and he, hey Richard, can you come to the next race? I mean, right. the whole thing was great. Yeah, the way yeah. he tied that together, I'm like. That was mind blowing. My like, holy crap! I just talked yeah, about right place. Dad, yeah, man. right like, place at the right time. Yeah. yeah, that was way cool. We get to live that, man. Guy, you know, I and I think it's a, it's important to appreciate that. Like, there's not many times left. Knock on wood that that Don Garland's at eighty something years old is going to be making those speeches. Right. Yeah. And I, it's, I remember you texting me talking about speech. I'm like, yeah, I messed half of it up because I forgot what I want to say. Like, dude, it doesn't matter. You shared the stage with Garland. So I'm like. Oh, I never thought of it. That way. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was way cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, those are those are opportunities that I mean, shoot, we never would have no. thought in a million years that that we would get. You know, but I I hope that you guys, you know, Sean and Jr. realize what you've got in Brian Loans yeah. as far as the guy who is going to take you guys into the future and make you guys the Don Garlitz of the future. That's why I'm so pumped about him being in that position. I, th- I think that he has the right ideas and is capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's a little bit, you know, change of pace, but I think it's it it's building the excitement. I mean, you you've obviously been around a lot and you've been in a lot of different uh, you know, announced for a lot of different stuff, and and it's like Jr. and I have we, we've always talked about. It. It's like when you, man, when you start announcing, you make Super Street sound badass, right? <laughs> and like, it is. I right. mean, don't it's get like, me wrong. But you know everything about everything you're talking about, and like you're all pumped up. Like you can tell, like you're passionate about it. Yeah. Not that it's, others aren't, but like you just can hear it in your voice. It's a thing for me. It's just like what I've and to get the to get the job. Like, I've never connived anybody. I've never jabbed a knife in anybody's back. I've never grabbed someone by the thing and said, listen to me, listen to me. That's like, your end of the story. Well, it is. <laughs> Reinhardt Ryan says and otherwise. I'll, and I'll stick to it to the end of my life. But, like, to me, it has always been, like, if I'm going to advance in doing this, I want to advance because someone thinks I'm good at doing it. I've never, I've never tried to get ahead by bullshitting somebody or by, you know, by trying to sell somebody a bill of goods. And when you listen, like, it sounds really self-serving to say, but, like, I think I'm the first guy since Mac to have this job that's actually a drag racing guy. Like, if you look at the guys that have had the job previously, and I'm not taking anything away from any of them, right. they've not been, like, a born-and-bred drag racing guy. They've right. been a dirt track guy or an IndyCar guy or a 
this ad the other thing guy or it's hard hot, for him to learn hot dog right. announcing Coney Island contest guy like whatever <laughs> but like this is like this is not a stop on the road this is the end destination like this is where I want to be like this isn't something that I'm like okay well hopefully I can take this and tr- no Right. I don't want to turn this into something else. I want to be this. Right. You know what I mean? You're not trying to call college basketball one day. Like, this is the ultimate goal. Right. So let's make this about me for a second. How long? How <laughs> That's why I was waiting to get to you. I'm like, shit, we need to talk to Freiberger over here. <laughs> how long ago did I predict this in a Hot Rod Magazine editorial column that said you would have this job? How long ago was that? It was, was a pretty that? long time ago. So well, you get all the credit then. 2007, something yeah, like that. Yeah, probably. And, and the only reason I bring that up is that, Brian, I mean, this was completely predictable. Nobody is as dedicated to your craft than you. I mean, it is what you've done from birth. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say to that. But, like, to go back in your direction, when I – grew up reading car magazines you were the guy that turned the car magazines into the things i wanted to read so let's just start making out right now right, let these guys that. finish give, give them a moment well, Sean. Well, listen, but if you, <laughs> i think it's the but, beer but talking right now but no but no here's the thing like it so if he's gonna say kind things i'll say kind things back to him but like if david's role in automotive media overall has been taking it from something that was like not that approachable kind of over the top stuff that you know regular guy could never afford and then when he took over the editorial ship of carcraft was like going to the goddamn junkyard and just building some junk that was held together by god zip ties and duct tape and it went 12s and you're a kid at home reading these magazines like yeah <laughs> hell yeah like, i can do that this is a real thing that i can do Right. <laughs> well, you're overstating my relevance. I'm overstating your relevance. Let's move on. <laughs> Listen, the dart. Tell the story of the dart. The dart? The Cheap Thrills dart? Cheap Thrills dart was just, was one of the things that hooked me forever on car magazines. Strangely enough, one of the most well-known project vehicles I've done in my history at car magazines. And for the audience's sake, I'll just review quickly. I started a Hot Rod magazine in 91. I've been the editor of Hot Rod Car Craft, Four Wheel and Off-Road, Rod and Custom other stuff uh but one of the cars that i did in 94 was the cheap thrills dart which is a 1968 dodge dart and we went and got a 440 out of an old imperial and threw it in the thing and for less than 1800 bucks we ran like 1280s or something like that by today's standards absolute loser program but by those standards (laughs) back then (laughs) nobody had seen junkyard garbage like this in hot rod magazine and so, yeah, it was a pretty big deal. And so I've made my career out of being a complete hack. Well, listen. But, but <laughs> and look at he, him now. What he fails yeah, to mention. Yeah. What he fails to mention is the how the trans was mounted to the cross member. With hose clamps. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I mean, between hose clamps, duct tape. I mean. That, Balling on a budget, man. Well, I mean, that's. <laughs> Balling that's a, on a budget. That's a racer's dream right there. I mean, you could get anything accomplished with that. Absolutely. Everything will get attached to a car. But it's inspirational. It's it's that's what when you're a kid and you're a young guy that wants to be a hot rider, wants to go drink, wants to do something. You need someone that says you can do this, and it doesn't have to be a ten thousand dollar paint job. Right. You know, whatever. It, you know, so it's cool. Yeah. Absolutely gives everybody hope. You got the junkyard, grab you a pile of shit and make it rip, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> you still do that. I mean, that's yeah. the, <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> that's the American yeah. dream, isn't it? <laughs> my career is garbage. 
That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, so like, but you made a career out of it. Yeah. I see the stuff you put on Instagram and what have you. Like, what's with the cars that are completely like look like they're totaled? Like they sideswipe a telephone pole or some shit, and you're out there ripping them. Well, uh, literally, our whole motto is don't get it right, just get it running. And the whole point is that kids who want to be you guys out there drag racing got to start somewhere. And they might see a car that's in their backyard that they can buy for 800 bucks and think that I could never actually make that into something. But the fact is they can make it run and drive and do burnouts and go have fun with the thing. And I think that a lot of our industry holds people back and says, unless your paint job is perfect and you've right. got a thousand horsepower and your twin turbo LS and your blah, 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 right. you're, you're nobody. And our whole take is, no, you're somebody if you're out there having fun and making tire smoke and that's it. Yeah, I think James you know? Finney Birdman tried to accomplish that on Facebook a couple years ago. He failed. Yeah, he right. failed. <laughs> to, Miserably. Me, to me, that's the cool shit, though, when you have a car yeah. like that. I remember racing... Junior dragsters, or even my super comp car, bracket racing at Edgewater, and uh, Rob Cropfield at this time, he had like an old Nova or something, just rusted out pile of shit, ran tens, and he'd wax everybody every week in that thing, like, bring it on. Yeah. Like, no numbers, anything, not just shoe polished on there, like, that's the way it ought to be. Yeah, well, that was one thing, like, when I started bracket racing, and I started kind of coming back east a little bit more, and a lot of the guys, uh, buddies that I had out here when I started racing we were saying... Don't let the cars that you don't think are good fool you because they're probably better than everybody else, right? So you start running a couple of these guys and you kind of take a peek over and it's like, okay, I got this guy. You know, you kind of you kind of have that little bit of image gauge, I guess, where you look at another car and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a duck. Okay, you know, I, I, I think I should be okay. And those are the guys that are laying down the, the <laughs> right, perfect packages right, right. on you. There's a guy named Max Nubler III that runs at Bradenton. And I announce a bunch of races at Bradenton, you know, a couple, two, three times a year I'm down there, and they always run a bracket race. So this guy had quite literally the car that was the worst-looking bracket car in America, but he was deadly. So I show up to the race last weekend, the uh, Snowbird Outlaw Nationals, and I see this guy come around the corner. It's it's the same year car. It's a 70 Monte Carlo, but it's beautiful. And so I say to the normal track announcer, Bob Moles, I go, what happened to the other car that was black? He said the roof tore off it. Now, not the not the Landau crappy cloth roof, the, the, the which was roof. already gone. The actual the thing was so rusted yes. that the actual steel roof got wind under it and tore off the top of the car. And this guy is a killer. This guy goes rounds every time I'm down there. He's semifinals, final round finish. He's he's deadly. But yeah, you can race. A giant pile of junk would be good at it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's... I think most people don't realize that. Well, let's get to uh, Drag Week. I just learned about this last few years when Larry Dixon first started going. Then these guys, of course, got the shit box of doom. Like, now I want to go just to see, like, that thing run. I think it'd be cool to follow it down the highway, go to all these tracks, whatever. But I don't know if I want to put in all the work that they did to go do it. <laughs> you do. You really do. So, Hot Rod Drag Week is five... Five drag races in five days at four different drag strips, and we make cars drive a thousand miles from track to track. And, uh, you know, you're talking about these guys over here with the shitbox at Doom. You're talking about Lindbergh and Crampton. They did that 57 Chevy wagon with the absolute top alcohol, yeah. you know, water block, Noonan block in the thing. And they went and tried to do it, and honestly, 
kind of shit the bed. <laughs> and, and I say that to force them to actually do it again. At least they showed up. But nonetheless, I mean, we've got six second cars who drive a thousand miles and do this thing. And That's then incredible. we've also got 16 second, 20 second cars right. of guys who show up and have the time of their life doing it. But and, the point we bring up every year is that there are 150, maybe 120, eight second or quicker or yeah. quicker street legal cars that drive a thousand freaking miles and do this event it is that's badass my my you know people ask like because i get to do a lot of different stuff like i get to go whatever my holy trinity of events are the u.s nationals bonneville and drag week if yeah. everything if everything right. if everything went to crap and i was only able to do three <laughs> things in my life in a year it, i would go to the u.s nationals i would go to bonneville and i would go to drag week. and so now you know your future Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Much, yeah. Pretty, that's what you got. Pretty you just took right. a major pay cut already. <laughs> but but the reality is like the drag week thing is because there's no prize money, there's no purse. There's it is if you're gonna you're showing up for the personal challenge of doing it. Absolutely. And and the personal challenge, it doesn't matter if you got a 10 second car that has a solid lifter cam and at that it that craps the bed 10 feet out of the gate, where you have a six second car that makes it 800 miles and then you got to rebuild it. We've seen every sort of insane calamity that event has to offer. Side of the highway, pop-up tent, driving rainstorm, a guy's got the crank out of the car. <laughs> On the freaking highway. Because no what are you going to do? <laughs> right. You're yeah, 700 literally. miles away from your trailer. Figure it out. Bring a floor down. And, and you guys have checkpoints, right? So you can't yeah. just take any route to get Correct. to the track. We require the guys to drive on our specified route from track to track. And so we give them a map, say, you got to do this. And there's a couple of checkpoints along the way where they have to take pictures of their cars. Because the point is making everybody suffer the same amount. Right. And right. so it's like everybody who finishes drag week drove over the same potholes, drove through <laughs> the same river, you know, etc. But like this year, the whole thing was the hard hurricane there was a hurricane yes. like coming on right so we run atlanta and we escape you know basically finish the day and then the deluge comes and guys are escaping and there's all these pictures of guys driving through the rain then we get to darlington i think it was day two mm-hmm. and so the whole thing was darlington was where it all came down we were standing around going man do we even continue right. this because there, there was a whole thing of like do we just like this is probably maybe we should just stop this and let everybody not well, there's get like killed. A, yeah, there's a whole other level yeah. of insane when you have, you're driving in the rain with 2,000 horsepower. Right? Right. Not just rain. At the time, we had hurricanes that were shutting down all of Florida. They were evacuating, evacuating, they were evacuating yes. people. It was absolute chaos. And so, we dodged the whole thing. So the yeah. like balls the size of this table all of a sudden appeared, and, and the guys who direct the event are like, we think we can like outrun this thing, <laughs> and like, we did. <laughs> Ten lanes, boys. Let's go. <laughs> we kept on going, and it worked. And it worked. And it worked. It was insane. It and it was like there was a like, for the first time that I've ever been on the thing. There was like a moment of genuine human concern of like maybe this might result in people drowning yeah. in their hot rods. <laughs> so nah. first drag week was two thousand five. Brian, you were there. Yeah. Uh, reporting for Competition Plus, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, when did you come back and start announcing it with me? Uh, I think it was nine or ten. Nine or ten. Yeah. Okay, so we've been doing it together for eight years. Yeah. Doing the live feed. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, it's a riot. It's the greatest event ever. And I say that as the guy who invented it. But it's not about me whatsoever. It's about the participants who yeah. made it what it is today. How do you decide where you're going to go from year to year? That's a nightmare. Because you got to find four tracks that are six-second capable, meaning they don't have Armco, they don't have grass in the median, that they actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, that they so have... So date, maybe national yeah. event-type tracks. Exactly. He jumps at 500 feet. <laughs> exactly. So essential national event-type tracks that are within two or 300 miles of That's each tough. other. And, and that you can, can make a loop. don't have noise abatements of where they can't run on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're willing to let us take everybody's trucks and trailers and leave them at their facility for a week. Never thought about that. So, I mean, it's a pain in the neck. And next year, I don't even remember what we're doing. We're doing East uh, Coast. Virginia, ATCO, Mar- uh, Maryland Cecil International, County. Cecil County. Virginia. Yeah, exactly. I think Virginia's in there, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's the furthest northeast we've ever done. And we're the closest we'll ever be to to uh maple grove oh okay. that's yeah that's good where for all homeboy over here it's good so for this all guy and me will be in the same uh, hopefully the same coletta airplane going to <laughs> yeah so i mean <laughs> the thing is we've got some Richie. nhra guys who've started showing up at this thing and yeah. uh we'd like to see more you guys are more than welcome to show we get a up rental started out race see what thing. it's about what yeah. do you got for my toyota 4runner <laughs> well t- the big thing is put a unit on it show up yeah right <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to talk to TRD I about this. I might say a supercharger with a Sequoia. Yeah. The, the, the big thing is, to me, as a guy who has a foot in all these different worlds, it's like it's important and it's been a, a, a hidden secret for so long that guys who are professional racers, you two guys, everybody else that does this, are actual hot rodders or people that just like to go drag racing. So it's like – It's a sickness, yes. Right. But but it's a thing that's been hidden for way too long. Right, yeah. So going, you know, again, going back to the TV show and all this other stuff where it's like we're going to spend a lot more time talking about stuff like drag week, talking about the fact that you guys are not just driving a top fuel car or a nitro funny car and then swimming in a pool of gold coins Regret, on the weekend. Correct, yeah. You know. <laughs> you guys see my mansion here. Right. No, it's listen. <laughs> The condo mansion. The the valet nearly didn't let us in the door. Absolutely. But, Security. Yeah. But, but the fact of the matter is, you guys are hot rodders as much as anybody else is. You love cars. You've been doing this a long time. You race, whether you're talking about Sean doing a bunch of sportsman racing stuff, whether you're talking about JR, who has driven every freaking thing that exists in the sport. But so few people know that you guys are out here and are also enthusiasts, and that's an important thing for our fans to know. Well, could Sean not dominate Street Machine Eliminator? So we Listen, do. Sean would destroy the. What, class. what are the What are the requirements for this? So we do. It's a, a bracket race. race. You just it, have it's to a bracket race. Game over already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you so, allow deep staging? Yes. Yes. Oh yes. So everybody runs all week long. So they run five races, and we take all their ETs over the week, and we divide them by five, and that is their dial for every round. So okay. and then you run a bracket race on the last day where you've got the same dial for every round. But the thing is, people at Drag Week have same day reaction time. So anybody who can yeah. show up and cut a light can own this thing. Yeah. We have people <laughs> yeah. who have gotten like loitering tickets for not, you know, yeah. people they open up a lawn chair, sit behind the car. Oh, okay, it's time to go. Yeah. yeah. At Drag Week, so Brian what... is like Brian Lightning Loans because he can actually cut a light compared to most of the guys. Yeah, there. no, I look like uh, <laughs> What's look... your guys' maximum dial in? 
Uh, 10-0 is actually the cutoff for that particular class. It's a quick 32. So yeah, you, the... you got to fall between 10-0 and whatever the bump spot is. Yeah. And the bump spot was 10-98 yeah. this year or something like that. So they're 10-second cars. Okay. Okay. And anybody quicker than that runs in the other categories. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. If you can be better than, say, I don't know, 800 on a sportsman tree, right. you're pretty much winning <laughs> this thing. Well, well, no, we run the thing on a pro tree. Which okay, is if you actually, can be better than 1.3 seconds yeah. on a pro tree. <laughs> uh, that's geez. what screws a lot of guys up because bracket racers show up who've never run on a pro tree and they just shit the bed all day long. It, so. it's, it's crazy how when you're explaining or talking to like a lot of the fans or whatever, but how quick you really have to be on a pro tree. It's not just see yeah. see the yellow and react to it. I mean, it's like a whole nother level to kind of take it to that next level of how quick you got to be on it. But I mean, I don't I don't know on a street car, it, it, it'd be pretty tough. You've run those street races, haven't you? Like the media day races, like you rolled in, got yeah, up the top. Well, line, you, you just know what? Mad that's, it. that's true. You got like a five hundred light. Like, don't yeah. tell anybody. I just did that. You know, like, if you can go five hundred, <laughs> just you will look like you will look like uh, you know. Bob Glidden in his prime. <laughs> well, I mean, if you power break it a little bit. Well, yeah, you that's could, what I tell people. Can, I'm like, hey, get in there, turn out the top light, yeah. hold the brake, and floor it. You can, Yeah, you can get about two tenths. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think we actually run that thing on a four tenths pro tree. Four tenths, yeah. Yeah, because uh, it's closer to street racing. Now I'd like to go instant now you're green, talking. to be honest. Yeah. It, listen, I'd like to go instant green. It, whatever it is, it's not good. <laughs> Dude, not what about good. the instant green races when they move the green light and it's not instant green? It, it red light the, on an instant green. For, for it is the it, I will go on record. It is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Lone said dumbest shit ever when yeah. you move the green Don't light to the yellow light well, spot. I, it doesn't make any sense. You're no, all you're doing is changing the color of the light. It doesn't make any sense. Right. I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. I'll agree with and that. I know statement. what the green light is supposed to be. Like Forrest Gump. I don't know a lot, but just leave the freaking light. Unsprew, uh, leave, take every yellow light right, out. Just get everything out of there. Take the stage bulbs out if you want. Yes. Just take it all out. <laughs> take everything out. I'm but so amazed. Leave. Oh, he read that on a green light. Just mm-hmm. leave the green bulb where it belongs to be. Right, exactly. You know? I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel on a, right. on a Christmas. Yeah, somebody's right. taking way too much on how to do this. Yeah. No, it's no, not you don't. good. Who had that? I- Someone had that issue where they're... Like, people fail to understand. Like, the Christmas tree, we had this conversation weeks ago. Like, why was the Christmas tree invented? Why was that a thing? Well. 62 nationals? 63. Three. So it shows up, and all the established racers hated it. Like, all the guys that raced off a flag start hated the tree. Every single racing magazine has all these great stories about this is horrible. I've lost my advantage. Yeah, yeah, Because they anticipated the flagman? Because you well, suck the, at it. The four amber <laughs> yeah. tree, by the way. Yeah. Four ambers, initially. Yeah, right. I really yeah. like right. seeing, like, yeah. Why'd they have it back in the day there would be four ambers, but only, like, the bottom one would Damn. come on? Like, I never as, understood that either. It was as tall as the, the Las Vegas right. side, and it just went down for a day, <laughs> and then everybody left. Yeah. Leave on Stardust. <laughs> that's good. But no. That's not when Wayne Newton flips was, the switch, right, hit it. Right. He would sing the song, and it was so awesome. The lights would come down. And really, yeah. Run out of fuel like, by the time it gets to geez, green. Louise, like, it's just, you know, it was it was started to be consistent. And and when you look at what the Christmas tree is, like you watch a street race. The Christmas tree is a street race that is consistent. We had this conversation where it's like the street race guy pulls you in, and that's pre-stage. 
and the street race guy jumps back, and that's and you nod, and that's full stage, and then all of a sudden, happy street race guy flips the light, and you leave. Well, guess what, guys? That's the freaking Christmas tree. Same thing. Hello. It's the same thing. Dude, they could just call up Jags and get one. Like, what's right. their problem? Yeah, they make them. <laughs> they could even go green light only if they wanted to. <laughs> you could buy two of them if you want. They so, Brian, <laughs> do you remember Hot Rod Magazine, Otto Crocker, 58, I think, they did the first story on progressive timing yeah. at Pomona. Hot Rod Magazine actually started that with Crocker, yeah. who was obviously Krondek at the time. That's when they first started looking at 60-foot times and 330 and 660 and, and 1320. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was it was obviously revolutionary at the time. And most racetracks didn't have reaction timers. I mean, most drag strips did not have reaction timers until the late 70s. You know, if you, if you look at the majority of tracks, right. reaction timers were this thing that happened – and then it was like, that, that can't be right. No, it is right. You're just bad at doing <laughs> you it. You are that bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You suck. Here's why. <laughs> yeah. Now you just have proof. Right. Yeah. yeah this is this is literal proof. Yeah. But yeah, don't just stop moving the lights. Just leave the light where God intended it to be and just go do your whatever it is. Right. If it's no prep racing. Put some duct tape over them or something. Just right. Come on. Right. Pissing so, I mean, at all, all of the. Uh, like all the ducks race, that's all the pro tree. It's correct? a pro tree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Donald Long stuff. That's real is man all... leaving. Yeah. So uh, to clarify, Donald, Donald Long's races are a pro tree, right? And then everything after that is, you know, esoteric. We can we'll figure it all out after that. <laughs> you run a bunch of crap over. You cross the start line. We'll figure out if you're still in or not. Just the seat of the pants. But just. Just leave off the If you can trip. get over like eight feet of air, fly through the air, we'll reinstate right. you back in. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. He, I hate that shit you turn on TV and they're bouncing off curbs and all that and rolling. Their helmet comes flying off. Like, those aren't yeah. race car drivers. Well, and, and for the record, that is not happening at Donald's races. Like, you know, the guys. That's an actual racetrack. It shouldn't happen honest, there. You know, there are people crowded around every inch of the racetrack. There are chicks in high heels wiping out on non-dried-up trash and compound. And that's just there you. There are people juggling things. <laughs> there are people making a baby in the stands. There's all kinds of things. Yeah, I cannot <laughs> wait to go to one. It is. I want to run one. Here's the thing. All these guys that are 70 years old tell us these stories about how crazy drag racing was in the 1970s. And it was crazy. And all this stuff happened. And everything was out of control. You wouldn't believe and this. Nobody, and nobody. <laughs> you, you guys had no. No. I've been there and seen it like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Show up at Lights Out at South Georgia Motorsports Park, and every weird human interaction you could possibly understand is happening well, in front of you. Speaking of which, JR, I've been to your win party after Pomona. <laughs> it's still going on. Dude, he posted a video. I think I told you that. The Margarita. I saw oh, yeah. I got like 75,000 views yeah. within the first couple of days. I'm like, now nah, we're talking. We got the right man there covering this shit. But yeah, so that was awesome. That thing hasn't been out in probably ten years. They kind of got blackballed from Pomona. We went obviously a noise yeah, issue. Dell calls Pot- late at night. Dell calls Potus, gets the okay. He's like, hey, Potus, we're, <laughs> we're going Cromwell. Get, we're going to get the Margarita machine. I'm like, holy shit! And how was it when he fired it up? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> so we're talking man. top fuel Margarita mixer here on a trailer. It was incredible. I got completely hosed down with margarita mix at one point. 
Who there, was who was the guy lying between the zoomies? That's holding, his crew guy. Is it? Who was that? I don't. Who was that? Phil. Oh, Phil was on holding it. the buckets on. There. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think Phil was back there. Chase was back there. Um, I don't know who was on the third one, but yeah, they were 100% full body weight on top of these things, holding the margarita mix in with the tequila. And while they're up there Del, whacking the throttle, Dell and Chad are up there whacking the <laughs> throttle on this thing. I mean, it it's midnight. Boat, boat headers, Zumi, so they're laid back like right. flames in your face, basically. I don't know how they didn't get uh, some type of burn. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, talk about like the most epic thing ever. And there's when, a huge crowd there to witness it. Oh yeah, oh, it's amazing. In the middle of the or later in the day, when they had talked about that, someone had said, "I think we're going to get the Mega Rita," and I'm just like, "No way, this is happening." I mean, after after all the years of all the stuff that's happened, right. like I, I'm right. thinking, there's no way that this is going down. But right. the fact that they got it out there, but that. We need that. We need the that uh, uh, Sunday night party. Yes, sorry. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It was the it for. I'm 38 years old. I've been in drag racing since I was 18. Basically, like doing stuff. It was the coolest experience I've had in the sport. Oh, it was amazing. That night, that Sunday night at Pomona was the coolest experience I've had in the sport. Far and under, end of end of story. Lindbergh and, and I both slept in our cars that night, <laughs> right. like separately. I will right. say, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we both Great slept in our cars and got up the next morning and went to work. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, Lindbergh didn't go to work. No, he didn't go to work. He went back to we sleep. Have, I went to work. We have a we have a, a stigma that this is the kind of stuff that helps get fixed. And I'm not just sitting here like saying this because they just got a new job, but. Glenn Cromwell, as the guy who's steering the ship right now, is the right guy to be steering the ship. I believe so. Because he understands the value of entertainment. And, you know, Dave and I were both at the track operators meeting, uh, which is, I guess, kind of a, you know, closed session. But we can talk about it here. But both of us were at the track operators meeting, which happens basically right before SEMA, right after the Vegas event, right before SEMA. They bring in all the national event track operators and have this meeting of talking about stuff that's going on for next year and you know, opinions and everybody's kind of telling stories, what works for them, what doesn't. And Glenn made his presentation and um, Bill Bader, who runs Norwalk, who's obviously one of the most uh, respected, you know, track operators oh, in the absolutely. country. Elbow salesman. Started clapping his hands and basically stood up and said, finally, yes. after my whole life, someone at NHRA has understood that we're in the entertainment business. Well, that whole meeting was an eye-opener to me. I mean, I was the editor of Hot Red Magazine for 12 and a half years, something like that, longer right. than Wally Parks. And, you know, we would try to do things with NHRA all throughout the years. As a matter of fact, Wally would send me emails and browbeat me about this stuff. And then you'd go, okay, Wally, tell you what, we'll be at the World Finals and we'll do whatever. And then you would call and try and get passes to it. And it's like, who are you? No. Yeah. And it, it is... It is <laughs> Easier and better to deal with the NHRA media department, from my perspective, than it ever has been. And, uh, like, the stuff that we've done through our Roadkill show has been super, super easy, super well-received. Well, the stuff did in Brainerd. Yeah, right. The stuff we did in Brainerd on the show with Matt and Leah racing against us. Um, and I just – I think that it's a new day and from my perspective which is well removed from what you guys do it's all on the media side of things i think it's better than it ever has been yeah i feel like they have to utilize guys like you and the road kills thing because social media is where it's at now you got such such a huge following there that's what all the young kids are watching and want to see you know so you have to utilize that and what we're doing in nhra because 
yeah, the old timers are cool and all that, but they're also getting phased out. Like we need some kind of a youth movement in our sport. Yeah, and part of that to me is like coming through the show. Part of that is moving away from what's been done in terms of you know a lot of information that I don't think is very relevant to what's happening. And right. So like you know we we've you know to go a little bit in depth of stuff we've talked about like when I watch the Sunday show I want to see a ladder that comes up and I want to see it zoom into each pair and give me a win percentage on what's what's a percentage I of love that. and I want that on yes. Instagram that's, like, honestly that's what I want like, yeah, so that right? I can follow it right, right. yes yeah. like a live thing that comes up exactly. a video or something that right. I can see not a app yep. that doesn't work but see, yeah exactly and I think that's the biggest thing uh to the next step of NHRA it's like you you watch for instance UFC well, yep. what hypes up that fight? It's it's all the the pre stuff that they do, all the press conference stuff, um, all the hype that Dana White and, and yep. all his guys build up. Of this is going to be the greatest thing. This is the greatest fight. I've been waiting my whole life to watch this fight. Well, I think if you can do some type of build up on a Saturday or something, Saturday sure. night. Yeah, this first like, round pairing is going to be mind blowing. Right. Here's why. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you, you, but you have to sell it, and I think and, that's a great and, idea that and you I brought think up in the selling it part is less about this is the 58th time that this guy has raised this guy and more about here's what's happening right now. Like, over the last two races, this guy has just mowed the tree over. This guy has been dominant on the starting line, and he's won on a couple of hole shots, blah, blah, blah. And this guy has not been. Like, what is compelling about this particular matchup as opposed to the, the – you know. To be fair, I think they did a pretty good job with your deal at the end of the year. I'm talking to JR about his Funny Car Championship and that fight that you had in both Vegas and Pomona against Height. You know, I, I think they did a pretty good job of playing that up and talking about the points and making that a big deal. Right. I mean, I give them that. Like, I feel like they did a good, good job for Pomona, but we need that all year long. It's like that time. kind of hype. You can't, like, first off, I hate that. The U.S. Nationals, our biggest race of the year, like the biggest drag race in the world. To me, it just falls in the cracks with every drag race that we have on tour. Like, how is it different? We know it's different. The racers know, but does the common fan know how how it's sold? Do they know that right. it's different? Yeah, I think I th- somehow we got to put more is, emphasis. Your, your point on is one hundred percent valid. It is the points thing is difficult to comprehend for your average fan. It is, and I'm, and again, I think it is, and because you need to, you need to, from the the first second you start in in Pomona, you need to start setting the undertone of what that means. And I think, you know, there's a a situation this year, especially in Top Fuel. Yeah, you guys go ahead. You guys go ahead and handle that. Yeah, we're not drinking beer here, just so everybody. Yeah, those knows. are root beers. <laughs> but I I think you know you look at. Listen, Artie Allen, that lives in Florida, right. is coming back out with a top fuel car. Okay. Right. There are people that are going to show up. In, I can't even concentrate right now. In 2019. <laughs> well, well, the background. Know, there's an instructional video going on in the background. Of I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> it's a whole thing of the, you know, tab B goes into slot A. But the whole thing is, <laughs> to me, like, again, so... Top Fuel coming in 2019 is going to be insanely, weirdly competitive because you have people coming out of the world. Not so much in Funny Car, but in Top Fuel, there are a lot of people coming out of the woodwork to the point of we're going to have Top Fuel races next year, including the U.S. Nationals, that will probably have two dozen Top Fuel cars. That's how it should be. That's exactly. Like right. that, that race should right. be like a like hard to qualify. Right. You know, like It's going to take everything you got to get in the show and not like, oh, we only got 16 cars show up. Right. And in, in, in part of that... 
is, you know, part of that comes off of the, the shift of money off of pro stock sure. into the fuel ranks. And, you know, that's a whole giant, you know, situation with people that hate the fact that that happened. But, again, I'm not. I'm saying this as a guy who loves drag racing, not as a guy who's going to be the, you know, the lead guy in the right. show. It's a pragmatic decision that has yielded results. Look at the look at the counts this year. The counts this year have been up. Why? Because seventeen and eighteen pay money. Correct. So you have cars, and they're not necessarily the greatest cars, but they're cars that show up. And listen, Audrey Room has showed up and won a round, and and Terry Haddock's won a round. And this Bill night. Litton wins rounds. Yeah, wins rookie and, of the year. Right. And we can sit around and talk about if that's good or bad all day, but. For me, sitting here as a guy who loves telling a story, it's a great freaking story. The story yes. is the key, and the people are the key. That's one of the things that I've hammered on is making you guys instead of, I mean, this is like <laughs> death to say, but you can watch an NHRA broadcast and only hear the names of the sponsors on your cars yes. and not your personal right, names. Right, right, right. And right. my opinion is that people follow people. Right, people, that's... <laughs> Other than the forces, people don't know that drivers are the cars. They just know that DHL car, global car, whatever. You know, like they don't know anything about the person that drives it. Like that's well, well, I feel like you're trying to get across. Well, it's Brian only, can make that happen. Well, it's not only the person that drives it; it's the whole team. Correct. So one of the things that's that we're going to work on, and that's going to go out to teams before the 2019 season, like once the whole kind of you know silly season gets settled out is the teams are going to give us, we're going to request, hopefully they give us back, information where we want to know the guys that work on the car from the crew chief down. Yeah. How many years they've worked on the car? How many years they've been in drag racing? How many race wins they have and how many championships they have? Yeah. So when you go to a final round, I want to know that your team has an average of 10 years experience and the guy in the lane has an average of two years experience. And your clutch guy is brand new, and his clutch guy has nine years' experience. That's huge. But so, the, those, so the, the, the reality is, this is a sport that has a lot of depth, and the only depth we have ever explored in drag racing is technical depth, and it needs to be human depth because that's what it is. Like when you watch a football game, and they do the they do the deal where it's like they introduce the the lineman, like they introduce the defensive line. Right. The guy says what college he played for, how long he's been playing the game. Right, yeah, exactly. And the guy's like, I graduated in 2018. Well, shit, this guy's been playing for six months, and he gets run over by the guy that's been playing for 10 years. Right. I, that's compelling information. Correct, yes, exactly. You know, for our Roadkill show, we've got a huge following of guys who are under 15. And for them to see your crew guy or your crew guy, and they just graduated from, I don't know, Wyotech, Sam, any of those things, and they're the tire wiper, that guy's a hero to these people and makes NHRA accessible. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. I can do this. The fact that both of you guys came from Junior Dragster makes yeah. guys realize, That's wow, a huge story. I can do huge. this. Kids, yeah. You, yeah. Re- you reach that younger age demographic in the Junior Dragsters where, hey, they did it. We could do it. You know, same thing like guys like Richie Crampton comes, you know, being a crew guy for, for so many years. Now he's driving a race car. Yeah. yeah, I think those those are all stories that those stories that, have to get told. Those, those that's how you get the youth movement going. Like, oh, we can do this. Like, 
Right. But the good news is that we've got social media to tell all of, yes. them, all of those stories. They don't have to be Fox sports no, he- right, yeah, right, 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 right. They can be Instagram. Like, I forget. Who is it that has the girl who's on the on the clutch? Uh, there was Terry a, McMillan. Terry Ma- McMillan. Yeah. They did a social media campaign on one of the races this year where they followed that person all the way through an event. And I thought it was great because it was like, wow, this accessible female is doing the clutch on this car all the way through this national event. And I got to follow her and feel like, wow, if she can do that, maybe I could be involved. Or if she can do that, maybe I want to root for that car. Sure. You know, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I think, you know, to to just lay it on the table, like if if there's an area that NHRA needs to excel at that they're not perhaps excelling at now – is in the social media front like it needs to be it needs to be twofold it needs to be the teams which are obviously working hard like every team that's a professional level team has social media people working for them but there also needs to be kind of a uh, an amplification of those stories or you know to me the greatest thing our sport could have and we've talked about this in depth the greatest thing drag racing could have to help educate people about what we do and what the sport is in NHRA is a hard knock style show. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. Somebody uh-huh. else has said yeah. that before. I'm all for that. Because nobody, like 99.9% of our fans, have absolutely no idea the depth of work and dedication that goes into these teams. Well, and they think, not wrongly, because they've had no reason to think otherwise, they think that the car shows up on Friday – the guys set up the stuff, and then the car, you know, maybe goes a couple rounds on Sunday, and everybody goes and plays cards right. until the next race. Correct. But everybody bleeds for this stuff. Yeah, they're working their asses off all week long. I mean, yeah, Mondays they got the cars out at the racetrack. Right. You know, sometimes when, the, when they're stripped down to nothing. Yeah, stripped down to bare frame. And going over every crack or every weld or, you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to see a pit reporter walking up to the tire wiper and go, what did you do the past four days? And the guy's just like, dude, I'm, I'm obliterated, man. <laughs> you know, here's right. what we've been testing. Here's what we've been doing. It just it brings the humanity to it in the same way that Brian and I were talking earlier at dinner, St. Elmo's. Shrimp, Ooh. Ooh. shrimp fantastic. cocktail. Oh it's yeah, how, it's it's yeah. Could you, money. Could you imagine, a lot of money amazing. here. Could you imagine right being that Joey guy that won that the uh, the shrimp cocktail contest? Yeah, the hot dog eating <laughs> guy. Yeah, but he won the shrimp cocktail. Con- Sorry, not to cut you off, but he won that deal. Eight. How many did he end up winning? Or I'm sorry, eating to win. I don't know. I, there's no way you could do that. I mean, it listen, was, it was Brandon some... Bernstein. I saw that video. Did you see that? <laughs> Brandon well, Marty looked... Stewart or Marty? What's his name? Yeah. What is the guy's name? Brandon looked mildly aroused. That <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He sent me that. I'm like, you have got to be yeah. shitting me. I don't really know why, but he looked very. I wasn't excited. sure. I wasn't sure about his was, coaching, though. Well, you know, there was an there was an era of an, an air of discomfort there that he was very excited. Probably because be he realized on. like this this guy is out of his mind for eating all these no. all the shrimp cocktail. That guy is dead now. Yeah, exactly. exactly. His insides blew up. He from died. That. Right. He died. I have one, and I'm hacking up a right. lung. Can't do it. Yeah. So back on point. <laughs> what, what Brian and I were talking about was dinner. Is how Don Garlitz was the guy who did it all. It's like we all understood back in the day that he was the guy who built the engine, built the chassis, figured out the rear engine deal, that whole thing. But the that version today 
is what who you guys have for crew really right correct and where you came from and your personal personalities also and i just i think nhra gets that and it's baby steps but you know we're moving towards that yeah i think there's a lot of personality side of of, uh from the crew chief side i mean obviously a lot of technical stuff on that uh as far as what the the crew guys it's always uh, going back to that show hard knocks it's always about the story that you can relate to watching yep. so those are those are that's who you become a fan of so you watch a football player and they may say this or that will kind of trigger something in your head that's something that you can relate to well that's now your favorite player well you guys you know sean jr you'll understand this more than anybody and having to manage the sponsor part of the program but what i really want to see that sponsors don't want to see is you getting pissed off you know I want to see the conflict. I want to see the tension. Well, I want to see. I would, and I would go as far to say, like, why is everybody assuming the sponsor doesn't want to see you pissed off? The sponsor does not want to see you punching somebody in the face or hitting them with your helmet. But why does the sponsor not want to see? Sometimes you it's encouraged. <laughs> but but the, the problem the problem with that from a, a racer side is you have two ways to go. You either go status quo. Thank you. Appreciate what I got, which we all do. But just glad to be here, which we all are. And then thank your sponsors in an interview. Or you can go and kind of put yourself out there a little bit. We all kind of seen what happened with Tanner Gray this year. A guy, you know, he 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 he's very competitive. He goes out there and you know, he's young. He he's got a lot to learn. But is it a bad thing that he's competitive and he went out there and got mad and slammed his door and popped right, on yeah. the hood? Do you like losing? Yeah, nobody so, likes Okay, <laughs> so let me let, I'm gonna throw a question back at you guys for the job that I'm about to have. I love Tanner Gray. I'm I'm very saddened that he is going to NASCAR. 100 percent, yes. Okay. Well, no, you're saddened that he's not continuing at NHRA to be more accurate, yeah. right? Well, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's he, yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna do whatever he does over there, and I hope he succeeds. Like I don't I don't wish the guy bad. You know, I hope he does well. But so let's as an example, let's say I'm watching footage and I see Tanner just just wind up and. Slam his helmet in the side of the car, kick his kick his foot in the side of the car. Right, and I'm in the booth, and I say, you know what? That's the guy I want driving my freaking race car. Because that's the guy that wants to win. I want and doesn't accept like, losing. And and like, you know, to be to be brutally candid, I think it was a bad day in drag racing when somebody walked over and hugged their opponent after they lost the first time. Yeah, and I don't want to see you guys throwing fists at each other. But yeah, but I'm going to hug the guy. Just kick yeah, my ass. I, I was a well, general tenant of our sport. How about the round you won to win the championship, though? Right. Yeah. Like Robert came <laughs> over right away. You were I mean, all like, Mr. Bro hug. Like I'm not going to say get the hell away from me. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. I think I think like, to me general, like that's a sign of respect. Like it's it like is, a long hard fought at that right. point. There are there are yeah. moments where there are moments when it, when it means something, and there are moments where it doesn't. But it in my mind. I think the general basic currency of our sport is that the person in the stands that wears a Jarrett Todd jersey, that wears a Sean Langdon jersey, that wears a Tim Wilkerson shirt, that wears a Jay Coughlin shirt, is invested in you winning. Correct. And if that fan does not believe that you want to win as much as they want you to win, we lose. Correct. We lose. 
I'm with you. Yeah, I don't think it, it it does anybody any good when you get out of your car and you got a smile on. You just lost. You got a smile on your face and you go over there and and hug the other guy. Well, it doesn't do anybody any good. And, and, but the problem is, is is as a as a, a racer that has a fan base or you're trying to sure. grow your fan base is kind of like what happened with Tanner this year. Puts himself out there a little bit and he does what he does. And there's nothing wrong with it. I don't disagree sure. with anything yeah, that yeah. he he did or said. But the problem is, is now now he has this conception of what he, what everybody thinks everybody's got an opinion about him now and majority of them was bad yeah and i think and, and part of that is not that you should not that it's our job to support everybody's opinion and everything but part of it is to go you know what hell yeah like yeah i want this guy to try to get erica's head pulling off the track to the left like i want something going on here that shows me that he's got something that he's but it, it makes you, it makes you interested because you yeah. want to see what happens the next time. Like I said, I think that it's awesome. He he's got a burning desire to win. You could see that when he gets out of his race car after every round, win or lose, you could tell. Yeah. And so let's take Connie in the fifties and sixties and transport him to a world of social media <laughs> and the internet. He okay? would break the internet, right? In a good way or a bad way? Ah, uh, people. He'd have more followers than anybody, right? Because I don't know if they, I don't know who, if today's world could handle <laughs> Connie Coletta. From he had a he had ago. a sit down interview with him. Like I'm sure he probably told you some good shit, right? Yeah, yeah. We spent two hours. It, it was it, as far as drag racing goes. It was the best two hours of my life. We sat there and we just talked about everything. And you know, he, he painted all those guys' names on the back of his car, the bunny the bunny hunter car in the '60s. And Don Garlis came up to him one time and said, "Get your name out the back of my car." And Connie said, "Get your own goddamn list." <laughs> <laughs> And it's great. But to me, yes. I think that if you want to foster uh, – and again, like no one wants anybody punch each other in the face or whatever. What are you That's, talking about? Huh? What? Maybe sometimes. Well, <laughs> a, a little and push again, and a shove something. is not bad. But, but, it, but not because it's – but not because it is incited. But if it's incited naturally, hell yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the greatest one of the greatest quotes in drag racing is Richard Tharp said, I used to love Shirley Muldowney from from Monday until s- Sunday morning. And he said, now I'd like to punch her in the face on Sunday morning, too. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get away with that in 2018. You couldn't. But but the point of the but the point of the exercise is that you guys have the same feeling about other people in this sport. And I'm not calling you out. I'm not calling you out to say it. I'm not asking you to say it. But what we need to do is is foster an environment where these things happen kind of on their own. Right, yeah. You know, we're, working, we're working behind the scenes to develop stuff like rankings and power rankings and stuff like that. Like, I want to come into Sunday and put out a list of power rankings and have you guys go, I'm sixth? Well, we what the actually, hell is wrong with these guys? Yeah. We do do that when they try to put out the uh, what were you? They gave you thirteen to one odds yeah, this year so like for that, the championship. He right, was pissed about it all year. Yeah, I told him, to one, really, like right from the get go, Pomona, like the tricky tipster. Well, they set the odds for like championship, whatever. Like we were the field, I think, at like fourteen to one. I'm like, okay, like tricky tip. They're they're wrong. Like wh- who? Why right. are they the expert? Right. Like I remember Brad Littlefield did it. He's gone. Yeah. Like, I don't know who does it now, but I have a feeling I do who know who does it. But, but that's a post it on the trailer door and go, look look what these guys think about us. Correct. So that's, that's why whenever exactly. you see the hashtag, like every now and then I would, I would tweet it every now and then it would yeah. be like 14 to 1. Yeah. yeah. What, was the, what was the latest top fuel rivalry? Like, duke it out rivalry. 
I don't. I feel like this guy would probably know more than us. I, mean, well, I was say... it like Clay versus Doug, like Dougzilla, or, or, eh, or no, uh, well, was this Force so, versus? You know, that, that wasn't even really a driver yeah, thing. So though. that's like there's like this inside and outside thing. So on the inside, I mean, back when what was it two years ago, Pomona, when you pulled some awesome shit on the starting line against Leah, yeah. Everybody knew that there was a little tension there, and then it happened, and it went down, and you got out of the car. You said, that was our championship. That was what, you know, and I don't know who, I, if it was me or Joe or somebody else said down there, like, do you know what you're doing? He said, yeah, I knew what I was doing. That was our championship right there. Right, So, yeah. like, so there's there's always something going on that's below the surface, and I'm not, at, and, and again. That's like an unknown rivalry. Like, Right, but again, the only way it, the only way it is good is if it's not, like, bubbled up the show cannot make it happen it needs to happen and the show needs to come it needs to come from the top that right yeah to don't up. manufacture it yeah I, I think that there's too much of that going on now i feel like well i don't like that person because like you really don't even have a reason you're just trying to like the make... tmz reason but yes. but I'll, I'll tell you though like the when you get the, those rivalries going i mean i've had a couple throughout the years but it's it's a whole different adrenaline level when you get inside the race car and then you're racing this person that you get the mentality, there's no way, there's no way I'm losing this round. And when you put a mic in somebody's face after that, I mean, that's where you're going to get the good stuff. That's where you're going to yeah. get the stuff that's going to sell. That's where you're going to get the stuff that's going to be on YouTube for years to come. And I think that we need a little bit more of that, though. Uh, uh, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. I do. So, uh, you know, I'll ask this question as a fan. You guys are staging against somebody else, and you've both got national championships. Are you racing yourself in that lane, or do you know that there's a competitor in the other lane that you've got to beat, and how does that affect you? Somebody just asked me that exact same question the other day. I feel like it just depends who you're racing. Like, Okay, like I know that I'm racing a certain person that I don't need to go up there and crush the tree. Like, I'm going to go like help the crew chief, stage it shallow, like, Let's go for low ET or whatever. Then there's other guys like, all right, like you're gonna have to hammer the tree against this person. It's just uh, to me, I think it matters who you're racing. It's but the ultimate thing, like you, you got to go up there and try and crush the tree every time, really. Yeah, I think there's like there's separate levels of uh, mentally how you how you uh, prepare yourself for when you're driving. You have kind of like your your go to like your neutral kind of setting in your mind of like where you're at in qualifying. You kind of uh, keep kind of like a low heart rate and you kind of just, you're mellow. This is kind of your baseline kind of mental tune-up, I guess. But then you have like these other drivers that you're just, you may not like. I mean, I've been in a situation where I'm not, I don't like the other driver that I'm running. And you can just feel the blood throwing, or flowing through your veins, your heart's beating through your chest, and you just know that like, this I, I'm not losing this round. Well, those are the times where you kind of calm yourself down a little bit, where you take a deep breath, like don't get yourself where you're so worked up that you know you're going to do something stupid. So I think there's just different levels that you kind of uh, have mentally, you know, just just like interacting with somebody that you like or don't like, or you, you race your buddy, you kind of have like this even keel, right? You mentality. should probably get up more than you should. Than so you actually how much do. of that? How much of that mentally comes from? Both of you 
going through juniors and sportsman stuff or pro mods or or super comp or whatever is it the same like is it the same for you when you're racing for a super comp national championship where there are guys who are like i'm not, I'm not freaking losing to this guy. oh it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're racing a golf cart <laughs> i mean like there's time it's just you have those people that you just it's in your head i don't lose to this guy i'm not losing to this guy but there's like a, I think there's just this whole different mentality that, you know, you uh, there's times where you like I said you go to neutral, you go to kind of just this is you go to your standard like he says you know you stage it really shallow, you do this and this and this, but then there's sometimes that you're racing with someone and you get it in your head you're like I'm not losing to this person and I'm gonna fuck with them, I'm gonna I'm not losing this person but I'm gonna not only am I gonna beat them but I'm gonna rub it in their face that I beat them you just you know what I mean and I think yeah. that there's sometimes that you. You there that's where your starting line games come into so, play. So to that Brian Loans, should the interviews with the drivers and I would say I would hate this as driver because I'm in the middle of race phase, but should the interviews be before the race in addition to after? Wouldn't you like to hear <laughs> well, that opinion before but, they but, go down the but, track? But here's the thing. To be respectful to the driver, you cannot get that opinion. That's what I say. Race face makes it a but problem. What I want is what I again, in dream magical world that I'm living in. What I want is Sean to get out of the car and go, yep. Right, which, yeah. Which, before the race, you're not going to say, like, what? Right. right. I want I want the whole thing to go down naturally. Right. And I want the race to happen, and I want to talk to Sean and him go, exactly the way they drew up my head. That went down exactly the way I plotted out my head. Well, like, that was that was Pomona that year. Yeah. Well, and it worked. <laughs> and, and when, you know, the most, the most fascinating, and it's cliche to say, but the most fascinating guy to watch on a starting line is Ricky Smith. It's incredible. Yeah. He treats every single opponent a different way, and you know how much he respects or disrespects the guy with what he does to him on a starting line. Correct. I have seen him from my nice air-conditioned room in the timing tower of any drag strip USA disassemble people on the starting line. He brings the car up, and he backs it up, and he's going to move and the other guy goes into pre-stage and he brings it, ah, I'm going to move it a little. Right. And it's like the other guy has no freaking idea what's happening. And then Ricky double balls him, goes 006, and the guy has no freaking idea what just happened. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. When, his, when did the light his, come on? His pants are down, his nose is bleeding, and he has no idea what just happened to him. And the Ricky, best is Ricky. is when, when, they, when they get out of the car and they go, why'd you double bowl me? Because I can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's no shame in it. And, and when you watch... You know, you watch his son race the motorcycle. He and he does he he does not play a lot of games. He he plays the game when he needs to. Correct. Yes. But he's an amazing racer. Well, I, I think one one thing that always sticks in my head was uh, man, I don't even remember what year this was, but back when Force and Bazemore went at it on the starting line. Oh yeah. Uh, what 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 year? That had to be what oh seven oh eight. Yeah, that was like somewhere maybe, around there. Or but. Yeah. At the time, I was maybe it was a little earlier now, but at the time, I was racing Super Comp, and I remember going to that, and it wasn't even at a race that I was at. I can't remember the first time, but I remember the first national event I went to. It was I want to see these guys run, and I every every round, every qualifying run, I just went up to watch because I wanted to see if Force and Bazemore were going to go up there, and I wanted to see if someone was going to hang out someone, and I wanted to see and I wanted to hear about what happened top yeah. end. We have a sport that is confrontational sport it's a one-on-one sport it's the same as going in the octagon it's the same as doing whatever you right want. going to the boxing ring whatever you talk about and to me 
the compelling aspect of it is not anything that happened for the last 10 years, not anything that happened for the last six weeks. It's what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the focus of what we do from this point forward is about, and, and it's not like, oh man, you know, Sean <laughs> tweeted out this thing where he doesn't like, it, it, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the intensity of the moment. You know, Sean drilled the tree for for four rounds in qualifying, and whoever he's racing sucked. <laughs> so, like, right now, Sean's probably going to chew him up in a starting, oh, wait, it, that didn't happen. Shocking. Like, whatever it is. Right. But, but what is the information that's cogent to the moments that's happening now is what needs to be the focus of what we do. I totally agree with that. Because I might have forgotten what happened six months ago. You hung me out or some shit. Well, I mean, I wouldn't forget I love that, the history of this sport more than anybody that's ever it, lived in this world. Yeah. But it's not cogent to the moment. Like, right. When people, you watch the NFL, you're not like, hey, man, George Blanda threw uh, three <laughs> touchdowns in 1954. Yeah. And that was awesome. No, who cares? Right. But I'll tell you one thing. Racers, do they don't ever forget. You could have hung me out four years ago. At a particular track, a particular round, maybe even a qualifying round. I'm not forgetting. Yeah, something like that like burns in your mind. Like, all right, I'm it, not forgetting that. Like, it, it's always a mental note, though, because there's always, sometimes in qualifying, it's always, uh, you may have a driver that's a little slow to get in. But you kind of, as you race along throughout the year, you kind of understand the drivers that you're racing. There's some drivers that maybe have a little quick routine. There's some drivers that maybe have a little bit of a slower routine. But as you kind of go along, you start to understand this and you kind of know who you're racing and their tendencies. But I think you can kind of change it up a little bit, you know, just to kind of keep everything even uh, for the staging process. You know, that way you're not out into the stage bulb with your pedal out for X amount of time. Um, but I think you can kind of change that up a little bit when you run these guys because you get a guy that has certain tendencies and they always do the same thing. Well, then maybe if if you get hung out one time, you keep it in the back of your mind. If you get hung out a second time, that's not going to happen again. I'll promise you that. So the next time we're going to have an extra gallon of fuel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to stage first. Yep. But see, this is stuff that nobody knows about. No, because like, they, 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 right. no, right, right. so, right. so, right. should. Exactly. But the coolest thing for me was the first time that I raced John Force. I grew up big John Force fan. I grew up watching John Force. I grew up getting his autograph. And I have all the all the respect in the world for the guy. But to me, the first time I raced John Force, everybody knows John likes to stage last on race day. It's not a problem. He can do what he wants. But the one time, my first time I got to race John Force, I'm not staging first. <laughs> Quality. That's great. Yeah, that's you know great. what? I didn't even win the round. <laughs> and I was a little upset about that. Obviously, we want to win, but it didn't matter. I made John Four stage first. Yep. And that was that was cool to me. Yeah. Just for that was that was twenty five years of cool to me of watching John Force and idolizing him. But just I got to I got him to stage first. See, but as a fan, that's info I'm dying to know. Yeah. Well but, okay, here, so Go ahead, you go ahead. I, I was going to ask another fan question that probably comes from ignorance, but you guys can educate me. So obviously you don't go deep in qualifying, but when you're in eliminations, why don't pro cars go deep? Why don't nitro cars uh, go deep? Nitro funny cars do, for sure. Top field dragsters don't. But funny not consistently. Okay, some drivers do. It just depends who it is. And I'll never forget, watching, uh, watching the finals here, Pomona finals, Brian... Was on the oh the PA with uh, with Reinhardt, 
And he's like, oh, you know, this car had a slower 60 foot. Then they poured the coals to it down track. Well, there's a reason that car had a slow 60 foot. It's because he plugged it in there, like the church of his reaction time. So, like, there's basically there's a formula we can tell. Looking at your reaction time and your 60 foot number, you add them together and it should, it should come up to a certain number, correct? Correct. When that yeah. number is, like, way high, like, there's a problem. Then. Right. So, typically, when you're on a, a good track... Um, funny cars will have 860, 870, 60 foot in that range. Um, and if you're 60 or 70 on the tree, you just add up that number. You're in the nine on average, probably 930 range. So when a guy goes up there and goes 50 on the tree and goes 920 or well, 50 on the tree and that, yeah, 920 or whatever in, in the 60 feet that adds up to 970. So you add those numbers up. Well, you know that, okay, by those, that four hundredths that they're off, that would have been essentially like maybe an 880, 60-foot and a, a 90 lighter right. or what have you. So you kind of know that's something that we always keep track of. And it's typically like driver owners are the ones because they got nobody to answer to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who, who's going to yell at them? Nobody. Like, they own the shit. They can do whatever they want. Right. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit on on the other end of that because – Right, you're a hired driver. Like, don't steal from me. Like, you're, when you hear drivers say they steal, that means like they're robbing elapsed time from the crew chief, just so they can look the better. Pad, the, the, pad, the, the pad, their reaction. But time. in eliminations, who cares about the ET? Don't you care about getting to well, the stripe first? And why don't you just put out the top bulb? Well, because the the issue with that is, if you get to a track that's a one lane track, you'll lose lane choice, and it can be okay. critical in the summertime. And when you're racing for thousands of a second, right, there could be issues of, say, you rolled in three hundredths. But you ran four thousand slower than the other guy. You could have had lane choice for that next round. So, will you actually mentally roll a little bit deeper, but not put the top bulb out in order to try and like play that game, or are you pretty much on the same routine every pass? I feel like one thing I've learned going from dragsters to funny cars, like dragsters. I, I remember Del Worsham telling me he's like, "You guys race like gentlemen." Like, everybody just tries to, like, creep it in there as shallow as possible. It's almost like a bragging contest. If you can flicker the bottom light and then have, like, a badass reaction time, right, on race day. Right. You want to do that in qualifying no matter what. But if you can do that on race day, you're like, yeah. Or funny car guys, you do that, they're going to make you look bad. So, like, I mean, he might be different. But what I've learned is, like, I just go up there, like, stage it wherever it lands, which it might be. Five thousandths or a hundredth, but it's still not four hundredths. You know, like it's Correct. not knocking out the top light. But I just try and do the same thing like that every time. To where you don't really change it up from driver to driver. Maybe like the length of time it takes you to do it, because some guys are slow, like John Force, whoever. Like he's gonna make you sit there. Well, I'm gonna sit there for a while then, because I'm gonna sit there with my foot out on the clutch pedal, waiting on him for an hour. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. So okay, so. To put this back on you guys and to, to, for the audience, how do we do a better job talking about that on the show? He, he was gone while we were talking about that. That's where you have to get the combination of the reaction time and the 60-foot number and get that figured out to what it should be. And then on race day... But let's... Okay, so let's let's take it back a step because for me and you and the, the four guys at this table, that's easy math. Correct. For, but For Joe Smith, basic fan... You you take take what do I want to be telling Joe Smith basic fans? that his reaction times on qualif and qualifying were nowhere near what they were on race. He, he didn't just jump up 
four hundreds all of a sec all of a sudden, you know. So like if I'm involving you guys like publicly now, even though I'm not, but I am, in making a driver ranking. Like if I'm making a driver power ranking, what are the type of stats you would? And it, 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 it needs to be an aggregate of numbers. It, it can't just be a couple two things. What are the numbers I want to look at? Like because if I look at reaction time over a course of a race. Obviously, it's an aggregate that's got to be not as accurate. I think what Brian's looking at is how to tie drag racing into the stats that are shared for football and, and baseball well, yeah, and I basketball. Just, I just want to say, like, if I'm, right. making, if I'm making a driver ranking, in your guys' opinion, who actually drive the race cars, if I'm making a driver ranking, what are the numbers I need to look at to make it an accurate representation of driver performance? Okay, so we get a spreadsheet email each week that lists – reaction times, elapsed times, and all that from our team, right? Well, there's a driver that will be at the top of reaction time, but we know, like, those numbers are fudge. Like, that's where, like, sure. somehow you have to figure sure. that out yeah. and get that across well, to the fans. Like, that nine, that nine twenty sixty foot, like, that, that throws up a red flag. So, so right, so, that's, so, so that's, that's the question, right? If I'm going to make a driver power ranking, what... What do we need to do to make it even? Like, there needs to be consideration of all these numbers, but where do they need to come so, from? So we get average numbers in, in these the email, the spreadsheets, that will show um, qualifying and eliminations. And then it will show the total weekend. So you'll have an average of qualifying reaction time, qualifying 60 foot, etc. Average of elimination uh, reaction time, 60 foot, etc. And then a weekend average including everything. Um, so then you, you'll be able to see in that instance, as far as uh, what are the drivers that maybe are a little bit slow in qualifying, maybe step it up on race day. I think there's something to say for uh, clutch situations. Um, like you, you run a certain somebody in a certain instance, and you're 60 on the tree. So like, and, in your opinion... If this was something that said, okay, we wait until four races into the season to actually start making these numbers. Yeah. But I, I think if you look at and you, you create a database of, of these averages, right? And then say, for instance, we go out there, uh, third, fourth race in, whatever, run somebody that's been having an excellent start to the season. And here's the average reaction time of, of Sean. Here's the average ET of the car. Well, average. Uh, my reaction time picked up or slowed down. Okay. Well, if you pick up from your average racing in somebody that's racing good, you've overperformed. Okay. So yeah. you've excelled. So your power ranking should go up. Same thing for the car performance on that, okay. that aspect. No, this is good. But yeah, is, is, good. is 60 foot a crew chief number or a driver number? Well, that's, that's more of, it's a package number. I understand, but correct. Yeah. There's, there's a little bit of that. And I think that you can see that if you average, the qualifying reaction time. Some some cars are a little bit quicker in 60 foot than others, but you're probably not going to see more than maybe 15,000, no more than, absolutely no more than 200s. Um, so I think that's a number that you take from qualifying average because everybody will stay shallow in qualifying. So you average out that 60 foot in qualifying between the four runs, and then you have, say, 875, 60 foot is that driver's average in qualifying. Correct. He goes to race day and he goes 905. That's how I know you're cheating. There's, there's, 
<laughs> I'm not going to say it's 100, percent but it's 99 percent that you're in 300s. But again, it's a, it, that this is a this is a conversational piece, right? This is exactly what you want. Yes, you want stats. Like the reason that stats exist in any sport is to create conversation. So that's the type of stuff I think we need to develop. So you you get incremental sheets, the qualifying sheets, right? Does it have the incremental times on it? We have to go get them, but we can get them. Okay, so start getting those, and then look, you know, look at everybody's sixty foot. And you'll first off, the first thing that I look at is who's quick in reaction time. Then you look at their sixty foot, and then on race day we get those same sheets. Like, all right, now I see what's going on here. Like I want, I want every Sunday morning that we race to like have this power ranking. Like I want that to be a part of our show, where it's like, here's where people are at. Because, okay. To know. me, like Robert Height would always be near the top because that thing will go like eight sixties, eight seventies in qualifying, and he'll go like fifty on the tree. I'm like, well, yeah, he's getting after it. Yeah, in in Funny Car, I would definitely say that Robert Height is, and he's he's typically, you know, Robert Height's towards the top. Typically on race day, I don't think that he really stages it deep if he does he doesn't need he, to he, he might slide it in a hundredth but right. typically on race day he's gonna he's gonna be 860 870 60 foot or towards the top and he's probably gonna be 50 or 60 on the tree when he needs to be now in a clutch situation when he's running somebody good a good running car he's still gonna do the same thing to me if you're putting a power ranking together you know that's pretty clutch that's no, I think, uh, I, and that's great I mean, yeah this is to me this is a great conversation in terms of developing something that is not like is not just some weird thing we pull out of the sky right no the power ranking needs to be based on something concrete so this is fantastic another issue that i see which i'm a victim of it because i did it a few times this year when guys catch the tree and they have like a magnificent light like robert against me, I think, and Brainerd had like a 19 or 20 light. Like, that's impossible. Yeah. Accident is what you're saying? Correct. Well, see, and that's where it goes <laughs> yeah. back to that tree thing that we had talked about. Taking right. out, there, there's a tree delay that they put in with in place of the LEDs because the LEDs are quicker. But there's 300s there. If you take that 300s out, you'll go you, red. If you catch yeah. the tree, you, you will go red. And that's how it should be. Because, and, and you know what? And anytime Jer and I or any racer that really truly understands it gets out of the car and goes... 20 on the tree or teen on the tree they get out first thing they say is man i got lucky there yeah Yeah, don't claim it because but but the thing (laughs) is is like if you're if you're saying man i got lucky because i caught the tree technically you hit you're admitting you hit the gas before you saw yellow in racing terms that should be a red light correct what's the cutoff number where you got lucky versus where you were skilled depending on it depends like where you're at honestly that's that's kind of where JR and I, in, in qualifying, you figure it out in qualifying. How deep That's, you are, you mean? Well, just as far as you, you stage a shallow every roll time. roll out of the track and what have Some you. Some rollouts are different. You might mm. see a hundredth, hundredth and a half in rollout, track to track, depending. Obviously, hotter tracks, you're probably going to be a little bit slower, making a little bit less power, a little bit slicker on the starting line, maybe some bald spots. You go to a good air track, tight track, you're probably going to have a little better reaction time. Right. Listen. This is fascinating. It is. And right? you know what? And no one knows anything about this. As a fan. Right. No one knows anything about exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. People need to understand right. that this is F1 racing. It is down to the nuance of literally yeah. what what's 18 inches, right? Right. Or less. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, and, there, and there's times that when you kind of get in your zone, you could probably call your light within a few thousandths of a second. And there's a, there was an argument, not an argument, there was a debate that ran within the tower circles throughout the course of the year about reaction time and stuff like that. And yes, staging depth and everything. But to me, we devalue the job that you guys do. Like when you get out of the car and say, to me, I need you to qualify. Get out of the car and go, 007, I got lucky there. Why? Like, I, I want you to tell me why because I also want you guys to seem superhuman. Like, I want the guy at home to go, holy crap, the guy was just 006. But I also want you to get out and go, wow. Right. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't 007. Right. Away. It's like Correct. you right. hit the gas and like, oh, shit, it it's not red, and, right. you, and you know, yeah. When you're driving, you but you, but everything that leads up to this to this moment is what you guys just talked about. Where it's like there is a very conscious amount of decision making that goes into the moment that you guys stage the car and hit the gas. So, what I want as a viewer, what I want as the guy in the booth, is to go one for you guys to go, holy crap, I got away with one there, and why. But step one to that is making the audience all understand reaction time yeah. and it doesn't affect ET and yada yada and how it does affect 60 foot and ET. And I think we, we've we tried to tell that story. Like we did a whole thing in, in, in Charlotte about that. But I think it's way more effective if it comes from you guys. You know, I think that's a story that needs to be told by the drivers. And I think it's a story that needs to be like, you know, if we're just, if we're just sitting here spitballing ideas, which I guess we are, like I want – the best lever in pro stock, the best lever in top fuel, the best lever in funny car to be a part of a segment. Absolutely. To talk to me and say, what does that mean? This is the process. This is the what process. What does it mean? And that's yeah. another thing. If, if they would get rid of that 300s, like you're saying, that would also stop the conversation. Why do pro stock guys leave better than you guys? It's not that they leave better than us. They don't understand. We leave car. at Correct. an idle. They, yeah. they leave the at 6,000 RPM. Right. We leave at right. maybe 2,600 yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. It's where if, you know, if you got that, like we're having double O lights, if you catch it, then it's like, oh. But see, that's the beauty of that segment. And also it helps the pro stock category. The, the beauty of that segment is here's why all three of these cars are actually different. Right. Here's why the three things like we all don't do the same thing. Like and again, this is it's minutia, but if it's told in the right way, if it's if it's a story instead of just some mechanical information, it's way better. But Brian, the pro stock driver leaving go like listen, you can appreciate this. Tanner showed up at Pomona and said, "I want to make eight runs that are double O." And, and he, he was, almost freaking right, damn, he was close. pretty close. And as an announcer that has Zero freaking skill proven behind the wheel. I'll I'll uh, testify to that. Right. I can't bowl. <laughs> I can't drive a goddamn race car. I can't do anything. <laughs> All I can do is talk. But it was fascinating to watch it. And I'll tell you, as a as a bracket yeah. racer, you can only dream of doing that. It is it, it is hard. I mean, the mental focus that you have to have throughout three different days, right? Yeah. So think about you're you going doing, to bed. You you're doing, waking up. Yeah, you doing something, take anything, right? And you do something Friday, you do something Saturday, you do something on Sunday, and you react to something. 
within thousandths of a second. So many different variables each day. There is so many. Di- you're you're talking different track settings. You're talking different clutch settings. You're talking different light on the tree. And light light right. affects a tree. There's different things that we do when the sun's behind the tree, when the sun's in front of the tree, when the sun's on top of you, when you get to a night run. We have different shades of visors that we use. We have clear. We have lightly tinted. We have dark tinted. But there's so many different variables. You got to think, you know, yeah, that this, you're this, not moving within thousands of a second. Yeah, this think, dude, this the dude, audience doesn't realize how many variables they are carrying with them into the seat as they strap into the car. And, and, and the, the other thing that is the great story that needs to be told and kind of amplified about drag racing is that we are a sport of momentary perfection. Like we are a sport of not... And Ten a, thousandths of right, a second. Like it, it is not a sport where you can you can have a great pit stop and catch somebody. And, and we've talked about this for years. But yeah. I worked one. I worked uh, for Pete Farver. He's my lives in Massachusetts. Pro mod guy. He called me up. He had no help. This is like ten years ago. He's like, I got no help, and I had no money, no job, dude. Whatever. And he's like, Can you come to, to Bristol? I said, Yeah, yeah. So I go down to Bristol and I help him out to like washing the oil pan for nothing. But it was terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah. I was a guy, I was working on his car, and all of a sudden, I went from being the announcer, talking about this stuff, to being a guy who was like, holy <laughs> crap. Like, if I made any sort of mistake, this whole thing goes down the freaking tubes. Right, your ass. Whether it's in, and it starts with the guy who's laying under the car, getting oil on his face, and it ends with you guys in the race car going down the racetrack. So it's a sport of, like, every freaking thing needs to be right to go down the racetrack and win anything that's where i feel like following you around the first few races probably would have been a good story same with me last year because are you worried about your reaction time the first few races in a funny car no because you're kind of worried you're scared like this thing's intimidating as shit like you're worried about getting it down the track you're not worried about your reaction times because they suck and you have to accept that right (laughs) You're getting hammered by everybody in the class. It has to be te- like honestly, it's that is the ter- most it's humbling. Be, it's gonna be terrifying to drive that thing for the first time. Yeah, you have to I want to hear about you guys worrying about loading your diaper. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I mean, like that. Like I haven't been worried like that in a long time. Like driving a race car, then like the first handful of races, like shit, man. Like, <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like your your mind when you're when you're cutting 50s and 60s light, uh, lights in a funny car your mind has to be so your your mentality has to be so mentally sound i guess in a sense that there's nothing that can distract you when you first get in a top fuel or a funny car there is everything that's distracting yeah, the body's you. Going because like the body's shaking you're looking over the injector you're trying to look around the pillar you're looking out and you're you're trying to see where you're at on the track you're trying to look at the groove now all of a sudden the groove looks crooked. Or did they line me up proper? <laughs> like, and then you have the oh shit factor, and then you have the cool factor, and then you look out in the stands. You're like, damn, the stands are packed. <laughs> you get the total squirrel clutch moment. dust, just everything. Uh, yeah, right. So you well, have all these things going through your head, and then it's like, so the first couple races, you're just you're you're not mentally right there. When you get mentally right, and Jared can attest to this, when you get quote unquote in the zone. You don't even know that there's grandstands out there. Right. You don't even know. You, all you see is a pre-stage light, a stage light, and the three ambers. That's all you see. And there's nothing that can distract you from that. And so I think that it's uh, in those moments like you just 
you kind of have to really just block everything out. But I think that when you're driving these cars and your first couple races, you kind of get to that point of you're just trying to get the car down the track and to mentally accept the fact that like, hey, I'm probably going to be two hundreds behind the guy on the tree. That's it's not cool. It it, it sucks. Like he, to, yeah, that's that's because a, the drivers that's a wild deal. Yeah, drivers have yeah. the biggest egos out right. of anybody. No, right. like I'm 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 the best. That that's but mentally that's how you have to be well, in order. There's no way to, you're going into battle, man. You, you either you 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 want, have to believe in yeah. yourself because if nobody else will, you know what I mean. So, but how, but, how many people in the whole world? understand the difference between driving a modern top fuel dragster and a funny car 10 yeah not uh, not many <laughs> and there's a no? huge that's, difference that's a great qu- yeah. eight yeah and yeah. it's i mean it, it's not even it's not really that comparable no. i mean i i really had to you'd be better off never driving, driving a dragster a top fuel dragster before and hop in a funny car and vice versa cuz like you can't carry one over the other right so think about it that, what is the percentage of your guys' knowledge versus people who have summited Mount Everest? You know? I'll tell you what. I, I wouldn't want to climb that thing. Yeah, you guys are way less people. There are tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of guys who understand what's going on there. And, and expressing that information to the audience just makes us all go, wow. To me, it didn't feel like, like it was super fast like when I first got on a top fuel car, but it also felt like I'm so far behind it again. Like It's almost like... My mind's got to catch back up. Like when I first got on a top fuel car, I feel like it took 50 runs or so before, oh, shit, like, now nah, I know what's going on. Like, get my hand off the steering wheel, pull the chute lever into on time and all that. You think you know what's going on before that, but your mind's still behind it. Finally, it slows down, where I feel like I did go through that again in the funny car. I'm like, shit, man, it's like being a rookie again. Like, this sucks. Well, yeah, and I think that they're, like, when you first get in these cars that they accelerate so fast that it's so easy to mentally get behind on these cars. And I think when you first start driving it, you have, it's in a sense like riding on a roller coaster, right? So you go on this badass roller coaster. The first time you go on it, you're holding on for dear life. Right. And you don't really know what happens, but all you know is that was badass and the ride's <laughs> over and you're taking your deep breaths. And all you know you, is you survived. I want to do this again. <laughs> That's a great right. The ride's so, over. so, yeah. so you want to do this again. Yeah. So the next time you go on is when you, or you go on the ride is when you really start to appreciate it and understand it. And Put then it, hands up. you put your hands up now. Now you can start doing <laughs> like the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. But we don't do that in a funny car. We don't put our hands up, but I think it's as you start to, uh, make more laps in it your your mind catches up a little bit to where now you can start rather than at the end of the run you're in the shutdown area saying holy shit what 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 just happened now you're kind of going down the track and understanding what's going on because you kind of have an idea of what to expect but your mind when your mind catches up i mean i'm still at the point right now after a full season when i first started i mean it was i'd hit the gas and it yeah, where, would, where'd you steer? I don't know. You I just don't know. Steered. But, you're, but yeah. mentally... I was trying not to die. Yeah, men- and I lived. So exactly. Lived. Mentally, yeah. you're not caught up with the car until probably 500 feet, right? So you hit the gas and all this stuff happens. And all of a sudden, you kind of come to and it's like about 500 feet. And then all of a sudden, you got to pull the parachute. You got to lift. You got to... And then that's your run. Well, what happened? I don't know. I mean, it yeah. was crazy. Yeah, this, yeah. But when you start to kind of now I'm to the point now where I hit the gas, I probably have about 200 feet of, of that still dead space of 
what's going on, what what's happened. <laughs> it's right? weird, yeah. Because, Jesus, man, but yeah. this this is true of how it really is. And as you start to get a little bit better, and you start getting a lot more laps, that kind of dead space starts shrinks. to shrinks up a little bit, right? Yeah. So I felt like after eight years of driving a dragster, um, you know, I was basically once I hit the gas by sixty feet after it picked up the front end and it may have washed out or rattled the tire a little bit, I was okay. This is where I'm at on the track, and I got to make these adjustments. But in a funny car, it's kind of extended out. There's a lot more, a little harder to see. You're on top of the tires. It takes a little bit more to kind of get that, that feel. To roll, and, like a, I'm going to roll a hand grenade right in here to the middle of the table. You guys, and I'm, it's for you guys. But the track prep change, to me, once again, separated what a top fuel car is and what a funny car is. And we figured out really quick. Once the once the tuners got a handle on the track prep, took three or four races, but we figured out very quickly who could drive a funny car after that track prep change. Because the top fuel cars did what top fuel cars always do. They got the hand of God coming down right on top of that wing, right, and just, they hauled ass. Right. That's yeah. what they did. The funny cars lost any margin for error. Yes. Moving anywhere out of the groove. And, you know, right, wrong, or otherwise... It separated the people that could drive them from the people that could not drive them pretty quickly. Well, and you guys, you, Sean, your first year in Funny Car? Correct, yeah. And, and JR's second year in Funny yep. Car? Yeah, so I didn't know any different. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Which might have worked in my favor. Right, like Houston, I think, was the first official race when they did that, right? And the transition there was terrible. Yeah. And I remember going there. And when it got there and there was no prep down there, it, it doesn't show that it's blowing the tires off because you don't see smoke billing out. I'm like, that thing's like, oh, shit. Like, this is gnarly. Yeah. Like, well, this is how it's going to be. Like, there's nothing we can do about it. Just hang on, basically. But, yeah, like, eventually the track prep got better for us, which made, like, driving not easier, but more manageable well, I think. And, and from you know we get to sit what we do in an elevated position we get to watch you guys from the top down those who can't do teach and those that can't teach announce right You're right you've got to the, the bottom level like the lobster level of the bottom of the sea here but being able to watch it from that level you would you know we would watch you know we would watch qualifying go oh man these guys got maybe six feet one way or the other. And yeah. If, and, if, and if it moves that much, they're screwed. Yeah, I and, mean, we're talking. And that's not to mention if you get, get a, uh, what, Vegas? Vegas in the right lane, the, the the groove goes kind of straight, maybe angled a little bit left for about 400 feet, and then really goes inside. So you you got to think you're going straight, but you well, got to also kind of stay in and, that groove, and, and it, it's going to run you left. Not to blow, you know, air up the guy's skirt, but, you know, Ron Caps. One of the, I never in my life doing this heard this interaction before, but I heard Tobler talk to him about how we wanted him to make the run. You got to go this far, and do, I need you to do this, blah blah blah, and he did it. And it's like, shit. Yeah, that's like not whoa. easy. Like, and, and that like go four hundred feet out and hang a U turn. Well, well yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was like, but there were specific things that you know, Ron Tobler said to Ron Caps. And Ron Caps executed those things, and the car hauled the mail down the racetrack, and it was like, 
But see, I think I think that one cool thing that they could do would be like if if they mandate or made it mandatory that every driver has a radio, right? Agree. No, I yeah, want that. And, exactly. and you I guys have. Up. I want NFL style mic'd up. You have huh. got well. You you might get some people in trouble because there's some things that go on the radio <laughs> but, that we can't talk about. But that's and, but, and you can't talk about yeah, that on another hey, thing either. Yeah, exactly. Hey, look look what's over there in the the first row right. in the grandstands. You know what I mean? <laughs> but. I right. think that th- there is a lot of things like that that get discussed. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously Ron in a funny car, I mean, the, the guy's one of the best drivers out there. He can do that. They asked me to do that. I tell them they're fucking crazy. They're, there's no <laughs> way that's going to happen. But I think that th- throughout, you know, times there, there are certain tracks that have certain characteristics that you may have to kind of cheat one side or the other. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I've been told before, like we're in Charlotte and there's bald spots on the starting line and it's pretty bald and stuff's peeling up. You got track peeling up. They said, hey, you got to run that saw cut for about 300 feet and you got to go move it to the inside. You know, you just you do those things. But it's I think to a fan, those are some cool things. Yes, that to, is to fascinating. See. Right. Here's because the game plan. Guess what? You're not just hanging out of the steering wheel. Yeah. You're driving Correct. the goddamn race. Car. Right. Yeah, right. 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 My the, the worst thing about being a drag racing fan and having and being critiqued by F1 guys or NASCAR guys is you're just going in a straight line. I would love to hear this yeah. information. I would love Especially to that, know. Well, you want, but you want to hear it in that way. You want to hear it, the crew chief delivering the information to the driver. Then you want to see the driver executing the information. Like that's what you want. And there's a lot of things that go run to run where you're talking about. Okay, we're going to burn out on the outside. We're going to run on the inside, meaning the groove. Yeah. So you'll burn out to the outside, run inside. So they'll maybe get on the radio. Said, all right, uh, burn out outside. You're running inside. Yeah. Okay. So you know, uh, maybe it's going to be a hot track. Yeah. Because it's the 100 million degrees already. Uh, you got a 140 yeah. degree track yeah. temp. They'll get on the radio. Hey, shorten up the burnout a little bit. Hey, do this or do that or you know what have you. And I think that's that's awesome stuff. I mean, to get that little bit of banter back and forth and you know that's those are just a couple examples well, but there's a lot of things that we, you can get over yeah, there well we deal with so much like social social media wise we deal with so much with guys that are like well these funny girls don't do 900 foot burnouts anymore there's a reason you can't i would love to do one but here's <laughs> right and here's the way and i'm not saying like you're going to change the guy's mind but what you're going to do is at least educate him on why they're not doing nine hundred burnout. And that, that was another thing I learned. Like, in a dragster, I always did, you know, whatever burnout, short burnout. You, like, backed up slow. Like, you know, don't be an idiot. Just back up slow. Keep it in the groove and doing this. That way you got time when they make your adjustments. And a funny car, like, you got, like, a certain time Get limit. Get the hell back. <laughs> because, like, your burnout fuel, that's weight that we, like, set up there for balance. Like, don't be dicking around doing that. You got to think one gallon is nine pounds. And you're gonna you're gonna if you if you take ten or fifteen seconds long, which you know in in a runtime is is a lot of time, but in real time it's not. But if you burn, you know you're gonna burn off a gallon of fuel, so that's right. ten pounds almost hanging off the nose. And that's again, a difference of wheel standing or not. Right, and so we go from real lifetime to drag racing time, and this is what makes our sport compelling. Drag racing time is what makes our sport compelling. And so as much as we talk about, well, here, you know, they're going to change the blow rubber drive because I want to know why what's happening. Like, literally, I want to know why what every inch is happening, why it's important. I wish that somehow we could get what do they call that dart fish where the cars overlay each other like a NASCAR. They'll show like well, this car ran this line, this car ran that line, this line was faster. Like I want to see like ghost cars. Yeah, I want to see like 
this car was in the groove, this car was, and they're like, how, like, none of that is impossible. And I can tell you, like, I'm not promising anything, but I'm, I can tell you that there's a lot of graphic stuff that's going on right now that's a lot. Like, Pomona is like a fascinating track that people have no idea. Like, it's one of the, like, I'd say more technical tracks that we drive on. Correct. Like, it's yeah. not flat. You don't Every- just drive it straight down the track. Well, see, and the thing is, it's it's a little bit downhill, and it's sloped to the left, right? So, well, not right, but correct. So, <laughs> both lanes are going to try to drive you left. So, you got to kind of try to cheat that right side of the groove a little bit, you know? But it's it's also downhill, so you got to kind of give a little bit more pedal when you're backing up clutch pedal and then typically like when i go into pre-stage i'll just kind of slide the clutch out a little right bit, and it's I, already going but, but i'll push it back in and i'll just coast into the pre-stage with the clutch pedal in just because of that down like what would be completely badass and which is not out of the realm of reason is because all these tracks are mapped by all the teams mm-hmm. now yes is to every do inch the, is to do the pga green oh yeah, absolutely deal, fully, right love like, to see they it. map the greens yeah. every pga hole and track go okay yep. Here's why this like we race on straight tracks, but They're every not straight. straight track is not created. <laughs> right. So and- Brian Lone's Fox Anchor. You realize everything we've been talking about for the past half hour comes down to you communicating this to the no, audience? No, it's great. No, it's good. I'm failing on all of it. It's all no. on you. But no, this is all for historical record. Absolutely. So but like no, Bristol, but- why do we smoke the tires so much or spin the tires so much? Well, like it's like driving through whoops, like But that's the thing, like in I feel as though like, you know, this maybe may not ever make it through the sensors in terms of the NHRA stuff, but like, I want to publish a track map every race. Why would you not? Oh, you, you, you look. That. You look at some tracks, and and you know, maybe maybe the fans are gonna be watching the it's race. Virginia, it's the and, flattest, baddest. Yeah, we got, we got nothing to show you here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not but want that, to admit but it's downhill, right? Yeah. Is that it? Did they not want to admit it's downhill? Well, no. I, I I don't know, but I don't know if this these are conversations that have not even ever happened before. Like, right? But I I think that if you you go to a track and and you see maybe all the, all the cars getting down, okay. Well, is that because of just they got it figured out the track conditions, what have you? Okay. Well, this track we go to, well, all the cars are smoking the tires at about the same spot, two hundred twenty feet, maybe more in the right lane than the left lane. Well, what are the different track characteristics that could potentially cause that? And even like taking a step further, like so, let's say you know, let's go to the like perfect world where we have a track map and we say, okay, this track, blah blah blah. We introduce that on a qualifying show on Friday or Saturday, and, the, and you guys go down, and there's a lot of tire smoke in this one particular spot. So why can't Tony and I be in that particular spot? <laughs> like, oh. You know, eight out of ten guys smoke the tires on this particular spot of the track. Why don't we open the show standing right there? Friday Q1 would be like, the perfect time to do it, so they're right all going to do it. Yeah. You know, it, it, so the Saturday show opens up with with he and I on the track going, this right here, if you could make it through this 20 feet of racetrack, you're going to haul the mail this weekend, and here's why. Right. But I think, you know, for me and for the next year, it's like taking the difficulty of what's going on in our sport and making it very human and – just look at this. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. We had a couple actually, people request the Nikki Bonifani story. Bonifani. <laughs> I don't know. This is great stuff. I mean, this is the, you know, to me, these are the type of conversations you got to have to make stuff better. Yeah. And I think a track map would be great because if you saw like, yeah, where it's it sloped, like well, this stuff. guy smoked a tires because like he was off the slope. Like he's over here, like way out of it or the the slope pulled him over the center line or something you know but it's 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 like mapping the greens on a pga course Mm -hmm. you know and to me 
it also provides some differenti differentiation between every track we're on because they are all different. You know? Correct. And even though at home, like here's another here's another thousand foot or quarter mile drag strip, they're all different animals. They're yeah, not one of them are the same. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And the fact that you know that as drivers, I think, is information that's lost to people. Who yes, think it's totally that, lost. Yeah, it's a three and a half second ride. We whatever. hear, well, this track's tricky this weekend. Well, why is it tricky? Like, what what, what makes it tricky? Mm -hmm. Where is the tricky? And that's something you forget as a driver until you get to some of these places. Like, oh, yeah, like, there's a big bump right there. Like, be prepared for it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, that's a lot of things. Like, you go to Atlanta in the right lane. Right. Whatever you do... Do not be on the inside of the groove around what is it six hundred feet? So you're because driving, so you're driving the race car to make sure you're outside of the groove at the eighth mile. Yeah, if you're on the inside of the groove in Atlanta it's in the open. right lane, yeah. Nikki, you t tell them how bad. Yeah, the right crew lane, chiefs could tell you more about these like right the lane track Atlanta six hundred. <laughs> advice from the peanut gallery but again driving the race car this is driving the race car this is not you going oh god you know? You know what? which this there also... are time for that <laughs> typically on the night runs because you can't see crap anyways this also comes down to funny. making the crew the heroes and showing how the chief is managing that situation with your clutch lockup and Absolutely. You know, all those other things, right. pulling timing, you know, that type of well, stuff. Well, I think that that's a whole show in itself is explaining the clutch and to what me, all like, goes on yeah, in the clutch. There's me, like, so yeah. much stuff in that. The ultimate NHRA hard knock show to me is that you pick it up uh, the, a couple days before the Indy test. You pick it up through the Indy test. You follow it through the Indy test and, the, and through the U.S. Nationals. And Because what you're doing there is like you're doing this microcosm of what you know, the world is, you do this like kind of concentrated look at what the season is and you're learning all that kind of stuff. I, I, we spend a lot of time talking about the technical awesomeness of our cars, which we should, but we also spend a lot of time retreading a lot of stuff that people have already learned about. Correct. I, I was like, not to toot my own horn, but I did that piece on oil pans this year. I don't know if you guys saw it. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Like, so I was trying to think they wanted to do this tech segment. I'm like, what has somebody, like, not done? Like, screw it, oil pans. Like, when have I – and trying to go to my head, like, when have – okay. So I did – I got an oil pan from a pro stock car, from a top fuel car, from a basically a super stock car. And it was like, these are not just things to hold oil in. Like, this is about horsepower. And the, and the pro stock oil pan was insane. Like it's, I'm sure it's crazy, yeah. but that, that's all, nightmare. that's all awesome stuff. I mean, what was the segment that you did on, was it pro chargers on Steve first car? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched that and was, I, mean, I thought it was awesome, but it's Be like, but it, and I thank you for saying that, but we need, so that's like the technical depth of the sport, but to keep people watching, it's about you guys. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. But I, I think that there's other things that, that you can do maybe on, like, like have a YouTube channel or whatever and stream it through maybe yeah. the website or whatever. But, like, the, I think the technical side of it, that that's where you're going to – you can kind of get a lot more, uh, I guess, fan interaction on stuff yeah. like that because maybe they'll have a lot of questions about that. Well, well then, And I think part of that stuff should be done live. You know, like, part yeah. of that stuff is, like, a that's a face – like – when you do this stuff, like part of that's a, like maybe you shoot one that's for the show and that's a cut, and then you do a Facebook Live thing where you go, 
Do you guys know anything about what is some triple well, super? Fans don't know what they don't know. You right. have to tell them what's impressive right. about the entire operation. Yeah. And they will go, whoa. You know? Yeah. I feel like they would dig like that kind of live interaction stuff like that. The word you can ask them the questions on yeah. there, things like that. Like I think they would dig it. I know I learned about that oil pain stuff. That was cool. Anytime I see something there and I learn about it, I'm like, oh shit. Not like the same like well, this is 11,000 horsepower. Well, we know that. That's why we're yeah. watching. <laughs> but what's the most common thing that fans ask you? What is it like to drive top fuel Yeah, power? they want to know like what it feels like. Like I can't even explain that. I would like, assume it's like maybe being in a fighter jet, but I've never been in one. Yeah. 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 Your gut's hitting the wrong side of your rib cage when you stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. It's it's the only car that, you, where, that you've ever driven that doesn't stop pulling. So let's time. put if, more in car cameras in cars. Okay, like so looking back at me, like that'll give you a sense of like what's going on in there and how fast it is. If it, I'm asking this because I because I'm curious, but if you guys are, do you guys make noise when you hit when you hit the belts after you pull the chutes? You guys make noise. Yeah, I'm like woo, yeah, woo, like. Like, like, no, like the moment you hit the belts, is there a, is there a, is there a a weird, if you drive into two shoots, yes, like you get that, (laughs) I don't know, maybe maybe your belt's gotta be tight. Yeah. If your belts aren't tight, like, I mean, it's, it's bad, bad day for you because it tries, can you imagine how good a segment would be of just audio of guys hitting the belts and girls hitting the belts? Like. All I want to hear is <laughs> Well, I'll tell I'll tell you what, if you freaking noise. If you don't awesome. have if you don't have your belts tight, right? It, and this was more in a dragster, but if you don't have your belts tight for whatever reason, it tries to suck you down, right? So if you try oh, yeah. to if it sucks you down and you get racked. You get that crotch belt where it, it's not in a comfortable spot. So you may not get a <laughs> in there. So you're two-time Supercom champion who is face first out of his roll cage going Oh, is that guy gonna pick? Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. Right. My nuts hurt so much. I'll tell when you, I it, saw that guy coming. with with the, a super comp car, you you get your belts tight. I mean, they're 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 snug, tight enough, but they're, enough they're snug, right? But I learned real quick in a top fuel car that you don't do snug. You go as tight as you can because when you throw two shoots and you drive into two shoots, it will try to toss you out of that car every which way. Well, Brian, wasn't it Cruz that years ago? No, it was Tony. 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 Bent the steering wheel. Yeah. They just yeah. showed that on something the other day I saw. It's the most yeah. insane video of all time because he, he hit the release latch and then he hit the parachutes on the way up. Oh, and God. You can see his whole body is into the windshield. Yeah. That's why you don't run a, a latch belt Hammond in a fuel Rainer. car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll tell you, a couple years ago, I had when I was wearing a Hans, and I, you know, I didn't know of this because I obviously didn't pay attention but i would go in um there were certain tracks that i was going to that i'd wake up the next morning and my neck hurt i mean hurt big time right well that was the tracks that i was back when i was racing a dragster i would throw one shoot on a long track i'd throw two shoots on a short track was always a short tracks my neck always hurt every morning couldn't figure out why come to find out after a certain amount of time i started figuring out when i was throwing two shoots my neck was good so far forward because my Hans tether was too long. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot of movement that you don't really think about that you kind of have that natural where you hit the gas and you kind of get for it. You kind of you, you know it with your body. But I'm telling you, man, like just that the, that neck pain that I was having in the mornings was 
Yeah. It was terrible. I mean, what is the, when you watch NFL films, yeah, you have the, you know, you have the interaction, like, like what, like the famous Lawrence Taylor, like, we're going to attack him like a pack of wild dogs. But the reality is when you're watching NFL films, you hear guys going, like, I want right. to hear, I want to hear what you guys, <laughs> what kind of weird primal noises you make when you launch. And what kind of weird problems does he make with him when he hit the bells? Okay. He wants to hear your nuts get racked. <laughs> right. Let's be yeah, yeah, it's not. But, yeah, but hear why? me, hear me squeal like a pig. But and the answer is yes. That's a good question. I've never thought about that because You'd guess have to what? Mic somebody up. But let's do it. The reality is, the the closer we can bring people into feeling or seeing, it doesn't count because seeing will never like the 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 camera view, the backward camera view to you guys is good. The forward one will never will never actually contribute to what people experience because they can't understand that. Yeah. But like, I want to see you steer the car, and I want to hear you going, like you know, whatever whatever primal weird noises you're making. Like, I want it's the same as NFL players running into each other at 100 miles an hour with the pads clashing. It's the same thing. Yeah, and the the coolest view that that I've ever seen outside of the race cars when we've worn like Google glasses, right? And we put the Google glasses on and make a run. You get everything but the the sensation of the G forces. Right. That's you get the sound close, everything. That's as close as you're gonna get. And unfortunately we can't run them anymore in HRA banned them. You can you can wear glasses, but you can't wear Google glasses. We right? wear them in testing. Well, but we can wear them in testing. So, but yeah, I have it on my actually on my Instagram. But it's like one of the coolest views. It was actually a a couple, maybe two years ago, uh, Friday night session in St. Louis. I wore them. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, badass. Yeah. I mean, it's it gives you everything, but like I said, the G forces. Yeah. And the nut racking. And the nut racking. <laughs> but that's where the sound comes in. Correct. Like that's where I want to hear someone going like. Because when you listen to NFL players run into each other, they're making all kinds of weird noise. Like, there's all kinds of shit <laughs> happening there that, like, from the stands and from home, you don't know until you watch the NFL Films video. <laughs> Little did you know that Langdon can sing like Freddie Mercury. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right? My, man's in the, my man's in the high C at 60 feet, and I'm good with that. <laughs> I just want to hear it. You know, I, it's, you know, there's a lot of... You may get a lot of MFers if you don't get the wind light in the shutdown area. But again, oh, I, yes. I drop f bombs when the wind light comes on. <laughs> <laughs> and I Kidding want me? that too. Like, just give me yeah. a beep on which you know has existed for 120 years. That or a big number comes on the scoreboard. You know what? One thing that I never realized until I wore the Google glasses was when I go in the shutdown area, how hard I breathe. For whatever reason, I never thought about that. I mean, I get out of the car. Sometimes you're a little bit winded. But when I was wearing the Google glasses, you can hear it after the run and everything shuts down. You kind of have that little bit of wind noise. You can hear me like breathing super heavy. And I, I would like that. It, exactly. Oh, but I don't know. Is that is that from like, do I hold hold my breath the whole run? Well, like if something's five times your body weight, I mean, that's got that's it's, like a lot of pressure and a lot of weight. Race right? Back, right, race but, back has right now race back. At this moment, you can buy a damn heart rate monitor. From yeah. So the weirdest thing, so I, I actually used a heart rate monitor one time. The two times for me that I had the highest heart rate was after a burnout and in the shutdown area. Richie and I did that. Ours was after the burnout. Like it was like, yeah, after the burnout, I think it was the highest. 
but then it stopped working at a certain point during the run. So you would think that maybe before a run or when you're pre-staged or during the run, but actually during the run was probably my lowest heart rate. But like, let's just like let's just game this out. Like with their Vanguard, they have that new Vanguard system they have, which is a wireless like cloud-based thing. Imagine if I'm at the World Finals. You're in the goddamn final round, and I have both cars with a race pack in them, which they will have. Mm-hmm. And I can look at live before the before the final race of the last moment of the season for a championship. Who's heart rate tight? That's compelling stuff. Well, that and right? I think like, I, that is compelling stuff. But so, some cool things that I think you can actually tell about a lot of drivers' personalities is you'll see who's got the high heart rate and who's got. The low heart like, rate. This is, this is real deal stuff. I mean, I guarantee you, Doug Coletta's, you <laughs> won't get nothing. Not no, barely no beating. No. Barely beating. <laughs> nothing <laughs> rattles that guy. You throw a hand grenade at the guy and be like, ah, what do you All right. throw it back at you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me ask another fan question. When do you guys know what your ET was? Yeah, usually, like, you can look up and see it. Right through the finish line. Look up at the scoreboard. Once it went you from quarter mile, to, the yeah. Once it went from quarter mile, a thousand feet, like oh, you can look okay. up and see it. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you got to be looking for it. If if you have, there's certain tracks that's kind of hard, and if the sun's directly on the scoreboard, sometimes it's hard to see. But majority of the tracks, yeah. If you you kind of have to about the time you hit the parachute button, then you lift you off the gas. You have to kind of glance up real quick. You do, shouldn't. Do, do so, you? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you got to say know nine times ran. out of ten, you can see what you ran. Yeah. You might yeah. not get the speed, but you'll see the time. Correct. Yeah. So if the times that I that I miss it, then I'll get on the radio and ask the guys what we ran, so that way I can get out and say, "Yeah, it felt like a three ninety five to me." <laughs> well, that's exactly what you went. I know that's what it felt like. So you got that on the radio before you get to you know, oh, yeah. Amanda. Yeah, or don't whoever. don't Usually, let them fool you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I knew it ran that. It felt just like one bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, yeah, like, like the, the best is when they get out of the car. They, like some people that you'll race with, they'll be like, "Hey, let me see the time slip." They'll yell to the people at the top end, "Let me see the time slip," and then they'll. Yep, I knew I was 75. Yeah, I knew I crushed or, it. I knew I missed the tree. Like, no, you, you knew it after you saw the time slip, Jack. Well, yeah, what do you think your light was? Let's see here. Huh? Yeah, exactly. That, that'd that be something that you need to do. Get get a driver's uh, take on his reaction time before he ever sees the time slip. Without him being notified by his crew. Well, the the crew won't they, they be able to know. see. You're right. You're right. Because by the they, time, well, by the perfect. time they get it on yeah. on the the NHRA thing, it takes a minute for it to load up. So they they'll already and be again, out of the car. Like, in a perfect world, it's like on a Saturday qualifying or a Friday qualifying show. It's like his guess reality. That'd his be a cool real- shit. That would be awesome. That would be How a- great. Would that be? Why like, doesn't NHRA flash the reaction time on the scoreboard? We've mentioned that. Yep. Well, is it because you can see it going down track? Well, they they already have uh like the bracket the bump races spot. do that right. Yeah, bracket races will, or even well, uh, su- super comp sportsman. Every qualifying round of the world that isn't. But right. yeah, typically right. they'll they'll have yeah. the bump spot on the scoreboard. No, it shows right. the reaction time in the scoreboard. Yeah. For, well, the fuel, pro, the pro car, the pros. No, 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 no. But yeah, the sportsman right. absolutely yeah. they'll yeah. they'll sportsman. show the reaction time. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean. Yeah, a lot of times, when, like if I race super comp, that's the first thing I let go of the button, the trans brake button. I look right up and either cuss at myself down the track or eighteen. <laughs> Do yeah. the sportsman cars get wind lights in their time trials? This is an awesome question to me because Sean, you went junior dragster, sportsman, top fuel. 
And you went for, JR, you went from junior dragsters directly to top fuel? No, I ran a super comp car, like not like him, but mostly bracket racing just around my home home tracks for two years. Okay. But, yeah, so once I turned 16, got into the super comp car, and then week after I graduated high school, I got in a top fuel car. So that was like a year and a half, two the years. The week after you graduated from high school, you got in a top fuel car? Yep, at Norwalk. My life is nothing to this point. <laughs> wow. The all-American dream. That's right. And at that time, I'm like, shit, I'm going to be doing this forever. And didn't do it after that year. I'm like, huh. What was, so, if, again, flipping the thing over on you, what was the most, to this point, now you're a, you're a funny car champion. You've, you've climbed the mountain. What was the most humbling thing that happened to you in your career? What was the moment where you went, oh, shit. Like, this may actually not be a predestined path for my life. When I got... Okay, so drove Litton's car, right? And that was 2000 IHRA. Then his shot burned down, and that kind of put that second team on the back burner, and Nikki was there. So I kind of just hung out there for another year or two and ran, like, a couple match races for Bruce, kept my license current, and didn't do a whole lot, cleaned oil pans. Then uh, Nikki left to go to Gilbertson's. Was like, hey, I think you should come with me to do this. You know, it'll probably help you get a ride, and you can at least learn about these things. So I did that. I got to make a test run in Bob's car. I'm like, oh, shit, funny cars are pretty cool. So I kind of planned the seed for me, like, with a funny car. And Dexter Tuttle called. I actually called him, I think, because he called me. This was after Dell's party in 2005, hungover on Monday morning. Kept calling me and calling me, like, dude, leave me alone. So finally, I like, get a voicemail from Nikki. He's like, dude, you need to sober up right now and go talk to Dexter. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. So I met with Dexter uh, 2005 after the World Finals. Went to his shop. He offered me a job driving part-time. Had to be a crew member full-time. Like, I'm sold getting to drive again. So once we did that, we won three races that year. Rookie of the year. Got the sponsorship from Evan Knoll good for 2007 i got a pay increase i'm like oh dude like shit's happening now like thought that was it like it ended 2007 and then ended up with morgan then that ended that's when it's like all right like i'm screwed now like i don't know what what's gonna happen i ran three races for david baca and like nothing was coming along that's when i went and drove uh the sheik's car Went to Qatar, raced over there, had some fun. But, like, I didn't know if I'd ever get in a fuel car again. Like, yeah. this ain't the end of the world, but it's not what I want to be doing yeah. for sure. And uh, that went away. Then Bob Vandergriff, fortunately enough, ran a second car. Put me in that just to get my name back out there and keep my license current and this and that and pay the bills more than anything. Because yeah. when you don't have a full-time job, you don't have an income, like, you gotta live. This Shit, is life. man! This like is life. your you bank account, actually, your bank you account dries live. up fast. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's pretty yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> there's pretty bleak time from there, like 2000, I'd say 12 to uh, the beginning of 2014. I'm like, dude, like this is it. Like I can't handle racing three, four races a year. Like I can't yeah. pay my bills like this. Like, I'm gonna have to go get a real job, and came real close to doing that. To me, like once you have to go do that, like kiss drag racing goodbye. Yeah. Unless you hit the lottery or something. Like, I don't come from a rich family. They can just, like, here you go. Sure. So, you have to be out there to be present. Like, it, it's out of sight, out of mind type business, drag racing. And 
somehow it worked out to where here we are. Yeah, I think that's one thing I think the four of us share is that you didn't come from some sort of rich family. You, like, you made your way. You made your way into sport. I think for me, like, same deal. Like, you know, my parents were great people, and I made my way. And it's like, it's a cool thing. I mean, and it's part of the whole process where there are people, a lot of people that want to do this. There are a lot of people that want to drive nitro funny cars and top fuel cars. And a lot of people that just show up to races and hang around and try to snake deals from people who right. have existing deals. Yep. And those people, in my mind, are a detriment to the sport. Right. Make well, see, and, and that and that kind of brings make your way. And one way or the make your way as a driver that's proven themselves to be capable of doing it. You, Sean Langdon, make your way as a guy who wants to just chew on it and will eat rocks and spit dirt. You to make it where you want to be. Like I, I, I don't respect someone who shows up and just tries to snake somebody else out of money. Right. Well, see, and that kind of brings us back to a conversation we had a little bit earlier. Is so with all that being said, do you go out on a limb? And show up, one of us, show up to Pomona and kind of rock the boat a little bit. And you have instances top in where you may be getting into it with another driver and you start speaking your mind a little bit to where you start kind of rocking the boat where people are kind of questioning now, you know, do you, or do you just kind of stay status quo and just thank your sponsors and go on? Because you know, you got 25 people that are sending in resumes for your job. So you mess up once you're out of a ride. And, and. Having never been in that position, the only thing I can say is, as a guy who lives on being on a contract to do a job, what are the terms of this contract? Can I speak my mind? Can I not speak my mind? Can I say there's there's a fine line that you got to figure out? And so, and and it's it's not an easy thing to figure out. But at the same time, like what is good and what is bad? Just tell me what I can and can't do. And let's do do it that way. If you say yeah. I cannot say a bad word about anybody, oh well, thank God I beat them because they're the greatest. Per- they're Gandhi in a top fuel car, right? Or is it I can say whatever <laughs> I want? Gandhi, and then that guy, whatever that guy, could eat a bag of dicks, like whatever you want to say. <laughs> but like, but what is the what is what is right or wrong? Yeah, and I think I don't envy your guy's spot in that position, but I also. And the job that I have going forward, I want to be in a position where I can foster some conversation right? where it makes things more entertaining and not put you guys in a bad spot and not – I'm never going to force – But, it, Brian, you've got the same concerns. I know this from you know just being your friend. It's like what can you and can't you do? Yeah. And I'm such a giant fan of truth and personality that I wish everybody could just go there. But I guess that's not the modern world. And that that's a little bit of the problem is because it's it's a little bit of as much as our sports, a little bit of a hobby sport, you know, rich man's hobby sport. There still is a little bit corporate left in our, in our sport yeah. that you do have to watch your P's and Q's a little bit because you you never know, you know, in the instance of what is a year or two going to bring? Am I going to be in a ride? Am I going to be in the same ride? Sure. Am I going to be right. out of a ride? But Am what? I going to be racing? The competitor that I just got done talking crap. Right? On, am I going to be their teammate? It, it, am I going to be their teammate yeah. in a couple of years? You know, I mean, you just you never know, and it's, so it's Which you got to walk a really fine line. It's way easier as me uh, for me as a far outsider 
to go, man, but I wish everybody would just speak their mind and tell the truth and make it happen and give me some, like, you know, anger there would be to, to attach to. <laughs> but I feel like, going I feel on like if everybody spoke their mind out like of drag there's more race. drivers yeah. that could, like, I see what you're saying that could speak a little bit, not be so PC about everything because they're afraid that that's, they're going to lose their ride or their right. sponsorship to where at least, I'm not saying we know the limits because we drive for a Coletta, but it's like a little more free reign there compared to other teams. But I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. tell you, the little bit that people have spoken their mind, you could see it, it bruised quickly because people aren't used to it in the NHRA because it's it's been pretty PC the last few years. So the second you do speak up, all of a sudden it's like attention grabbed and people start to look at you like, well, I mean, we've had a lot of people like kind of look our, our way. As yeah, like, by doing this you, show. You guys are kind of well, assholes. And maybe part of that is, you know, like and maybe part of that comes from the top down in terms of like coming out of the booth. Like if I'm watching a hockey game or I'm watching an NFL game or MLB game and there's a, a player or multiple players that are compelling in terms of what they say or do. Those are the guys that people are talking about. Like you watch an, an, an NHL game with Doc Emmerich that's announced who is the guy. Oh, he's the man. The yeah. guy is incredible. Like, yeah. Doc Emmerich to me, outside of all greatest announcer in sports, you can announce a hockey game as Doc Emmerich does. He's the reason I love playoff hockey. Shut it off. Like every, everything else is junk. But going back to it, why is that good? Because Doc can set up a scene. Doc can set up a play. Doc can say, oh, well, and this guy just elbowed the other dude in the face five seconds ago. <laughs> you know, there needs to be some support from the top down for this type of deal. Yeah, correct. Right? If if the if the whole thing is we want these people to speak their minds and then they do and no one says oh, oh, oh sorry you did that no 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 I want you, I want you to do like well you know you may not agree with what Sean said but he said it and that's awesome yeah let's well, move on that's my issues we used to have these meetings like beginning of the year then middle of the year whatever like we want you guys to create con- controversy like you don't just create controversy. That's stupid. But when there is controversy, like you guys run away from it. Yeah, they they definitely don't. Yeah, I, mean, I will. I will. Totally this is what be, you uh, wanted. Now you like don't I want anything be part the of. Total blasphemer here and say that I never want you two to create controversy. I want a situation to happen that the show can go. Whoa! Right. All right. Right. This is freaking awesome. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, TV is my life at this point. Yeah. I don't want fake drama. Yes. But I want real conflict. You know, I want legit. I want passion is what it comes down to. Brian, what is the most, like, mouthy class in drag racing today? When it it goes good, pro stock. Like, in Seattle, Chris McGay freaking protest. Oh, that's right. It was awesome. You're right. It was the best thing of the freaking year. Yeah. And in Radio vs. the World is cool too, but it's like Radio vs. the World is all this like this, you know, it's a great class and it's fun, but it's rich guys just hurling poo at each other. Correct. I, I but, thought you were going to go straight to Pro Mod. No. No? Well, no. <laughs> Train me. No. Train me, Yoda. <laughs> well, Pro Mod is great, and it's Ricky Smith going back on. They make rules against me, and, and I'm a victim for everything. And and that's fine, because that's been Ricky Smith's M.O. for 20 years. And he's kicked everybody ass for the whole time he's ever drag racing. That's yeah. great. But, like, ProMod is awesome, but ProMod does not have people that are actively going, F you, 
Stevie Fast. No, Stevie Fast is one of the U.S. Nationals going, yep, it, he's a smart ass and he's awesome and he's great. And I wish Stevie Fast was a fuel car. I think Stevie Fast is a great influence in our sport. But he, but ProMod, as great a class as it is, is not a driving force and attitude. It was when Scotty Cannon was in it. In right, the- yeah. Had, right. right. Had some character way back then. When Scott, when I was a kid, you guys too, Scotty Cannon switches from a nitrous motor to a blow motor. It was like... It, what? What? <laughs> the magazine came to my house. It's like, what is happening? Mind blown. <laughs> and then he went out and killed everybody with that, too. And it's like, this guy's God. Right. But ProMod, like, ProStock, when McGahey protested, uh, protested the elite, elite motorsports guys, it was awesome. It was the old school go after yourself pro stock class. Right. Well, I, I think a little bit of uh, that as well is, uh, is a little bit of the – Erica and Tanner banter was yeah. was pretty good as well. Yeah. And what was the fight last year between the two? What was it Gray and Elite? Houston. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah that was that stem from Alex. Was it was Laughlin. Al- 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 yeah. yeah, it was Laughlin, and it was Tanner. And Tanner, that's right. But yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. It was all too neatly, you know. Well, I think they just wanted it to go away. But but why? What? So let's like like let let's look at that. Why did they want it to go away? Because guess what? Tanner Gray doesn't give a shit if it goes away. The money's going nowhere. Yeah, he's still going right? to race. Yeah. Like, it, it, if, it, if it goes on for 100 years, Tanner Gray has enough money to race. Yeah. Well, Alec- I, I just think it was, it was the, the, the picture that got painted of, of Tanner per, I guess, the outside perception of that, okay, yeah. So he, he comes from a good environment. He comes from an opportunity that is, his family's able to fund his race car. But you know what? Like, it's not his face, fault. Let, no, let's face it. Like – there is nobody that would say no to that situation. So you can't knock that situation. Right. He's got a great situation, but the thing is he got the talent to back it up. Right. He's not he's yes. not just just yes. a, yeah, exactly. a come from a rich family. Yeah. He has the talent to back it up. This and this guy can whip your ass. Yeah. Uh, 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 1000%. In in clutch situations, the kids double O on the tree. Yeah. Like it, he's he's an actual driver. So I think but in that situation, he got painted as in a sense maybe a spoiled brat and a lot of a lot of the fans, they were hard on him. But the way I looked at it is like this kid, he's not only badass, but he wants to be better. He gets pissed when he loses. Yeah, there's, at least he was a jerk once in a while. Right. Well, there's there's but, like this insane, like insane Pollyanna history of drag racing that people seem to have where it's like everybody just liked each other. And, you know, they won and they lost. And it's the same as today. No, Ed McCullough beat the shit out of people. <laughs> like, yes, Ed quite McCullough, literally. <laughs> yes. And like, Ed McCullough, like, uh, celebrity death match. He has a t-shirt right? about right. him. Don't be a victim. Like, yes, exactly. Like, Don't be a victim beating uh, Gordon Minio. Gordon Minio, Gordon yes. Minio at, the, at the finish line to the, to the, to the, like, our sport, like, it's you can't get away with that. You can't get away with that today. Well, though. it's a frustration that our sport has decided to ignore the fact of where we came from and what we really are. Like again, this is a sport of one-on-one confrontation. There is no motorsport on earth that is what we do. That it's more personal, right? Yeah. There are three things that happen in the world that are the same things that we do. There is MMA fighting. There is boxing, and there is drag racing. On the one-on-one sport, yes, yeah. but you know what? I think it, it's. The, and I don't want sport... you guys to like go into some weird, you know, mean Gene Okerlund. Like I want to do yeah, like, right. I worked for IHRA when they tried to do that, and it was it was very bad. It's, it's it was bad. Not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but I, I think I think all you need is you just need one thing, and and you look at like a lot of like the highlight reels. They still play back to the Tony Pedragon John Force yeah. incident. Wait, six seven years ago, I freaked out. That actually made the that actually made Boston sports radio. Right, that's awesome. That but was but before you look- I worked for NHRA, I was driving to work one day. And all of a sudden, these guys on a Boston sports radio channel were talking about drag racing, and they played the audio from Tony and John. And it was like, holy shit. Yeah. This is Boston, Massachusetts, and there's drag racing on the radio. But you get sucked into it. Like, I'll tell you, I watched that uh, Conor McGregor, uh, Nurmagomedov fight, right? I will forever for the rest of my life, anytime one of those two guys fight, yeah. I will watch for the rest of my <laughs> life. Because that that was – we were in Dallas that weekend, and I actually – I bought it on my laptop, and I watched that thing. And it was midnight on Saturday night. It's yeah. midnight, and I'm watching this thing. I couldn't go to sleep till 3 a.m. I was so jacked up about this guy jumping over the ring and, and fighting with the other guy and this, this controversy, right? And yeah. all the buddies jumping in. Not, not that you want that, but I think it's just like the yeah. instance with John Force and Tony Pettit. It's just those instances – that you may be allowed to do that. Now, John Force can get away with that because at the end of the day, he answers to himself. Instances like us, we got other people that we, we not only got to go to our sponsor right. about this, we got to go to our team owner about right. this. And you're on a real tight, tight rope yeah. when, when you, you barely have enough cars to, to field a fee, you know, have yeah. a full field and you got 25 people knocking at the door saying, I want that job. Right. He, and, and here's money to do it rather than we get paid to do it. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? I could a, bring a sponsor with me. It's it's a weird kabuki dance. The answer is I need to see Tony punch you in the booth, Brian. That's what I'm looking That's for. That's what we it could have. You, and, you, you guys I get it. A, I have a strong Irish jaw. He could break it. It's <laughs> He'll break his hand on my face. Dude, like, okay. Even like certain, like certain celebrations that could be captured would be even like epic. Like Things we talk about doing in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Like There's no way we could pull that off, but if we did... like. That'd be the most epic celebration ever. You need to get in the middle of a Coletta mosh pit one time. I mean, I feel like my ribs are pretty good. Dude, there's been at. a cameraman in, in one before. Like he had the camera like in it. <laughs> and they broke the camera. <laughs> Who? How did they get that one uh, from Pomona? I think somebody was holding a GoPro like on one of those little deals. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, they were right in the middle of that mosh pit. Yeah. For Toyota. We need to get you in a mosh pit. Oh, I've been there. I've been thrown out of two Ramones concerts. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, now you're talking. That's a real mosh pit. Well, you get in a Coletta mosh pit, and you're about five people deep on, on the bottom. Some big old fellas. We got some big boys. Is Connie just stomping guys in the middle of it? That, that's <laughs> He's on I'd the like golf cart just looking like, look at these guys. Yeah, exactly. What a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's, there's nothing better than uh, being up there for a Coletta mosh pit. Well... Yeah. We're two not, and a half hours here. Dude. Two and a half hours? And we <laughs> yeah. were talking that Time long? flies, yeah. man. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. I mean, it's just, like amazing to me. Yeah. You know, I can't even yeah. believe I'm sitting here with like top fuel champion, what, 2013? Yep, yep. Man. Yeah, and this year's funny car champion. This is pretty amazing to me. I can't believe we got you on our show. What? I'm, I'm just glad it worked out. Yeah. I'm nobody. I got, I'm a guy who zip ties stuff together for a living. <laughs> <laughs> cool shit, though. Yeah, so, you, got, so, you got all the good stories, though. Uh, I have a lot of stories from a lot of years at Hot Rod and stuff. But, uh, you know, 
What's uh, tell me about your hot rods? Do either one of you have cars? You do stuff on. Your I got own? that Toyota Sequoia out there. That's my hot rod. Actually, my hot rod is the DHL Toyota Camry. There you go. <laughs> How about you, Sean? Yeah, I uh, well, I do a lot of bracket racing. So he's got a shit do. ton of bracket cars. Yeah, yeah. we got a, got a, uh, three dragsters. Um, I have a, an old an old pro stock car uh, that I run, and then I'm that's your part- drag week car. Ooh, that Richie meant he meant for me to tell you that earlier. We could do that. Yeah, tell so, tell them to supply me with the motor. Nobody has ever run Hot Rod Drag Week with either a funny car or a dragster. So I'm counting on you guys. Well, can you get you, that street legal? You can legal? make this happen. Can I? No, but you can. <laughs> That's something I wanted to ask you. So, so like when you're mapping out like these uh, checkpoints and all that, like do you have to go like smooth over like the locals and like, hey, we got all these badass hot rods are going to be rolling through your town here. Like, we don't mess with them. We smooth nothing. <laughs> Those guys are like on it. their own. I like it. Yeah. No, you hit the road and you take what you get. Like, do you guys get yeah. pulled over? Is that pretty common? Uh, you know, Brian, it's insane, but no, it's so, yeah. How does I mean, it not is there always the excuse of like, hey, man, I'm in drag week. And yeah. Go, oh, okay, no problem. you drive through towns where there are cops directing traffic because it's a and they're like, just get the. Fuck. Well, I, we've, <laughs> just, we've please, gone through towns go. where cops <laughs> are directing the burnout contest. Yeah. Exactly. Seriously. No. Oh, completely. We've literally have cops with the lights on at intersections pouring water on that the ground awesome. and telling people, like, let's see the burnout. <laughs> now I really want to go. But here's oh, the dude, thing. What it is is a representation of what actual life is. Like, if you're going through small town America with some weird hot rod, guess what? Like, Joe Law guy does not want to write you a ticket. He actually likes your car and wants you to get out of town. And right. Cool. Thanks for coming. Go <laughs> right. away. Exactly. Don't you, ever bring that shit box through here And you're gone again. in ten minutes, and everything's fine. But it's like, it's amazing. We went through. A, we went through an intersection two years ago, driving down the street, cruising the intersection, and the cops waste you through. And then I'm, I'm going, and I'm driving the car. He's in it, and like a couple other guys are in it. And all of a sudden, the cop is freaking out, and he's like, and all of a sudden behind me, I said, oh "My God, he's this guy jumped into a squad car, and he's." comes up on his hall's ass. And Richie like, oh Crampton's over here as our AV crew. He's like the AV kid watching the uh, Is he getting paid per hour? <laughs> so like Johnny Law guy comes hauling ass up behind us and I'm like, oh shit. So I pull over and he pulls over and he's like I roll the window down and he walks up and goes do you know who I am? I'm like uh, Johnny? Uh, <laughs> uh, get my license and he's like David Freiberger, you're awesome. The whole thing was just a setup, and the guy was totally just breaking my balls, but I thought he was going to shoot me. It was insane. Not the first time that has happened. Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, It's super fun. Yeah. Now Richie is the bartender bringing me the Guinness Stout. God, this is perfect. Thank you. Anyone else? Richie, you're the man. Actually, I'm going to take it. I got a fresh one. Anyone else need a beer? You good? Good. The behind the scenes on this deal has got to be epic. I don't think anybody realizes the beer consumption yeah, going so like, on you know, on those, Nomex those effect. Food, some food, sort of a record those food, at this food talk shows like Good Morning America and blah blah blah. They've got their coffee cups. Like, booze that ain't blast. exactly. Like, yeah. Come on, let's get real here. It's what we're trying. To, like, see, we got these nice cups. You don't even know what we're drinking. So I gotta know: is the logo, the sunglasses, and the beard? Is that you or is that Langdon? Because it's kind of it's like kinda, a guessing game. It's kind of a wobbler. See? It's what we were going for. Okay. Could be both of us. See, Could I be know, neither of us. I don't know if you've noticed to this point, but Brian is like my body double. 
<laughs> we're like the same guy, but he's got the beard. Aside from that, it's the same program. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. I couldn't grow a beard. So now I finally got one. I'm like, well, I'm keeping it. <laughs> it was the Propecia. Right. It was hard to come by, man. Oh, the, shit. You ate the pills. You got the beard. Everything yeah, all that stuff. Up. Like yeah. stuff you squirt on your face, you know, like Chia Pet. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't get ID'd as much when I go I kind of like it. <laughs> so, uh, actually, tell me, how much do you get recognized in public? NHRA well, fans we like know, chase it down? Like Brownsburg, Indiana, like that's a different story. That doesn't count because like that's NHRA heaven over here. But other than that, no. I will will say this though, like after the finals Whoa. The hell? Went Who to Huntington came? went to Huntington Beach, right? <laughs> With uh Matt Bynum and his girlfriend. And we just like random ass people, like, Oh yeah, we were out at Pomona this weekend, like, oh no shit, that's JR blah blah blah. Like, I thought that was pretty weird, but that yeah. doesn't ever happen. So that was kind of cool. That's cool. I went to the bank out there. Chick's like, oh, are you out here for work? So you're from out of town? I'm like, no, we were in Pomona this weekend. Oh, yeah, I was out there. Why were you there? I'm like, race the car. Oh, which, <laughs> which, which one? I'm like, the DHL car. Oh, yeah, the yellow funny car. I'm like, hell, yeah. Like, that's yeah. cool. You pay attention. Yeah, the one yellow everybody's ass. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My takeaway from Pomona with you winning the championship was – it was 90 degrees out there, and they put on the most oppressive jacket in the history of mankind <laughs> while you were standing at the top end. It's, like, it's a little warm, yeah, around right top of your fire suit. Yeah. Just better than pizza I had you earlier, Richie? <laughs> it's a late night. We got to get some pizza. I mean, I came over. I'm in socks. I'm already in my This brand of pizza is good. Oh, yeah. I'm already ready fan. to go, so as soon as I get home, I can go to bed. That way I can get up early for Pierre I tomorrow. Where, where is Chad? Has anybody heard from him? You better acknowledge how hard Nikki had to work to get pizza here tonight. Crust is thin. They not deliver yeah. here? Thin crust. This he is good. All right. Shout out to Bonifani Friction. He worked hard for him. Yeah. Supplied the. Make sure you go to the Bonifani Friction party tomorrow night. Slippery Noodle. Is that one of those thick crust pizzas? Mm-mm. Right, it's a nice thin crust pizza, not named crispy. A, not named after a guy who doesn't run his own company anymore. That's right. It's named after a type <laughs> of uh, entertainment device that falls over. It reminds me of uh, what, the bar stool guy, the pizza the review. Pizza review? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> one bite, everybody knows. One bite, everybody knows, knows the, rule. the rules. Yeah. I'll give this like a five point two. Throw me how a about slice the one, on there. How about the one that he got kicked out of? He went to Louisville. Yeah. Right? And he got kicked out of the deal. The the guy was like, Hey, are you uh, are you filming? Yep. Yeah, you can't be here. You gotta go. Well then he ended up posting that on on his you know, obviously Barstool is huge. So it goes yeah. viral. They end up calling him back and and basically apologizing about I think it was was the Godfather's pizza. Something like that, yep. Apologizing to the guy, basically telling him like you know that they'll make it right, whatever it takes, because they don't want a bad pizza review. Because he's got like yeah, he gave him a million. zero. Right. Yeah, he gave him, he said zero, <laughs> drops it and walks out. Yeah, that was pretty funny. What so what this? gets what gets NHRA drag racing on Barstool Sports? We've been trying to figure that out. Yeah, if you got the answer, I guess it's a real question. No, it's, it's, that's, it's, it's, we want to know that. That's something we've talked about lately. I mean, it's how do we how do we take get our sport mainstream. That's a big focus on with, with the race teams. It's obviously because the problem is, is that as we all know, the budget has exceeded the payouts. Sure. So it becomes in a sense like where 
a lot of people are, you know, well, it becomes a little bit of a hobby sport. You know, yeah, we're, we're in the entertainment business. We're supposed to be viewed on as an entertainment sport. But when you're paying out every race and it costs you, you know, basically you, you got a budget of two and a half, three million dollars on your car and a values, you know, maybe one and a half to two million. It becomes a little bit of an issue. So you got to figure out ways. How do you take a sport to the next level? How do you create brands for the drivers? Um, and those are all things that, that we've really tried to attack for, you know, next year is, is, uh, not, we've kind of come to the realization. You, you can't just drive a race car anymore. Does the world ever come back where there's top fuel match racing? Wouldn't that be awesome? I think we need to have call outs. We need to have somebody just go to somebody and say, Hey, I don't like you. Let's go over here and race for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's what I want. Just some five hundred big money, like five hundred points, nothing. I'm all low down. I mean, just just a one run, two hundred and fifty grand, or maybe what what really needs to happen in our sport. I think what takes it to the next level. At some point, it's a million dollars. Something is a million dollars. Yeah, we have million dollar bracket races. Why not a but million dollar? Top money, well, but next year, okay, Brian, go ne- ahead. Wet blanket, go next next year. There's there's <laughs> there's actually two bracket races that will guarantee five hundred thousand dollars for a one day race and you participate in those i right? will be at both of them absolutely you can bet your last bottom dollar so on that. you would do it if somebody would fund you to drive a fuel car oh yeah in in a match race situation yeah but well absolutely economically like realistically like that that situation is only paid for if you have a base of guys that are paying that Good an entry fee to show up. The, the money's yeah. got to come from somewhere. There right. Is not, there is not a right. drag strip on earth that exists that you can offer a half a million dollar payout for a day race or a million dollar payout for a weekend race for a top fuel car there and make money on it. There's so, Brian, one. historian that you are, is there ever a scenario where match racing can come back? Yes. At the top fuel level, not at the yes. no prep level. Guess at what? The, Guess so, what's going to happen this year? Go. There's going to be multiple races this year where there'll be 22 to 24 top fuel cars. There are people, Artie Allen, okay, Artie Allen, the immortal Artie Allen of North Florida is researching his top fuel car, top fuel car to come back out this year. Really? There are people around the country, and I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting here, but there are people around the country that are coming back out with top fuel cars. There will be, at the U.S. Nationals, there's a possibility to have two dozen top fuel cars there. Now, if you have 24 top fuel cars that show up to the U.S. Nationals, there is a market for match racing again. Oh, absolutely. Because 24 top fuel cars exist. And that means that... So how do you get it on the quality side, on the the money side, on the entertainment side? You, you don't get it on the do quality you, side. Do you, you, do you, you never get it on the is that, is that something that you stream, that you try to sell a pay-per-view for, that you... Pay-per-view doesn't work. I mean, I would say, like, you, if you want to make it into, like, a thing, then you scream it, you figure out a way to do that. But in terms of, like, match racing life, like, there will actually be a market for match racing top fuel cars again when you have that many of them that are actually capable of showing up, trying to qualify, that are certified to run national event. Only because you right. have certified cars that can run at any track they want to show up at. But they're not going to be great. You know, all 24 cars are not going to be good. So, like, all these guys that want to go back... 
yeah, man, I went to that 64 funny car show at Lions Dragway, and it was awesome. Yeah, those days are gone. No, it wasn't. It sucked. And guess what? <laughs> like, and guess what? Like, here's what real life is. There has never been a 64 funny car show in the history of drag racing that has been 64 nitro-burning funny cars. Right. Okay. okay. So, of the 64 cars, maybe 32 of them are on alco- uh, on nitro. Maybe maybe 40 of them are on alco- uh, nitro. A lot of them on alcohol. Some on gasoline. Like, you know what I mean? So, just a couple just to say that they were a part of the but show. But it was 64 cars. So I, I I just think there is a uh, there is a, a market and I think there is a renaissance going on where there will be top fuel match racing again because of the fact there's going to be enough cars that are certified and capable of trying to run an HRA event at an HRA track that will uh, allow them to be booked into other other racetracks. But then you 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 have a little bit of the factor on on the match racing side. It's like well you have to look at some of the facilities or the tracks, the length of tracks, sure. the speeds that the, the cars are going now. I mean, there's some cars that are going dragsters going dang near 300 miles an hour at eighth mile, 299, right. you know, so none of them are match race cars. Correct. Correct. Zero. But here's the thing, the match racing, if, if that match racing scene kind of redevelops itself, it helps all of us in a, in a major way, because the more runs, if you guys know, the more runs that you get to make on a car, the more profitable a car becomes uh, to support the team, the more apt it is to show up and run a national event. Yeah. Right? So if you have a if you have a car and you have the wherewithal to actually bring it out and try to qualify somewhere and you, you can go and try to book it as a match race car, you have a team that's going to learn about turning the car around to make runs. It's going to make the car better. If you have a brain in your head and don't try to run the thing to a national record level on every goddamn pass you make, and just right? Not hurt yourself, yeah. Make some burnouts. You're going to learn and make money to fund your operation to go to more events. Like, there's a weird full circle that's happening now, coming back to the bottom of the circle of what actually turned NHRA national events into what they were. Right. There yep. are a lot of independent teams that are going to come out of the woodwork over the next two or three years. Paul Lee a bunch of other ones that are coming that people don't see out of left field that are coming kind of on that model. Yet, unlike the 50s and 60s, there are fewer tracks that can handle a modern top fuel car. It's not like the 50s where garbage, you know, could show up at, you know, name your podunk old airport drag strip and actually run and win and get paid. doesn't happen yeah, no, I, de- I definitely think that uh, the facilities are a little bit, you know, the the standard that we have to kind of obtain for the a national event, you know, kind of, I don't think you could go back, like you said, being able to run a top quality car on a airport, you know, yeah. I mean, it'd, it'd make for some, some pretty, well, me, you might have a good fireworks show. Wait, yeah, well, I have an yeah. idea. This is our get rich quick idea, Brian. No prep top fuel. Let's go. But here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> match racing. Don't charge for oil downs. Match racing is not designed for top level teams. No, not at all. So I want the guys that are uh, well, like, like, are 14 to 20 to go out match racing. Yeah, because like guess what? Jack Wyatt, Creasy, those guys, they still hit yeah. a couple match races a year. Jack Wyatt, like, runs a shitload of those races. Right. And he has mastered the fact that you stand on the gas for two and a half seconds, 
throw a shitload of header flames out of the thing, lift off, dump the chutes, life is good. Exactly. He has run every – Jack White is a guy that I love. He's a great guy. He has run every half-ass, no-lit, no-shutdown area, jack wad, back hills, <laughs> eighth-mile drag strip that exists in America in a Nitro funny car. <laughs> and honestly, I, that's the guy that I want to make the match race runs to have enough money to scrape up and come out and kick somebody's ass in the first round of a national event. He very well could. A while. I mean, what do you think it it take to like do the match racing though? How do you how do you generate the money to be able to get the guys to start doing enticing them to go match racing again? It's it's a bot. That's a bottom up deal. Like the it's the eighteen to me. The money that's being paid now from 16 to 18 or 14 to 18 that's been increased, those are the those are the match race cars. Like you guys are not the match race cars. Yeah. Like, what if somebody world. like Duck ever swallowed his pride and like had one of those races where there's a bunch of you know small tire cars, which that's the, like the big craze now. And then like, oh shit, there's two top fuel cars here also to put on a show, or a couple jet cars, or like shit like that. You know what I mean? I it, it just it doesn't jive with that culture. Really. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't jive. Like those guys show up to watch Raiders. There is two races or three now that exist for these radial cars, and I love the radial drag racing scene, the small tire scene. But the way that it's been portrayed is way overdressed than what it actually is. Well, it's like, been it's been promoted well. Yeah, you can tell it's been promoted really well because, like, if you get on West Bucks page or anybody's, like, that's all they talk about. That's real racing, you know. Take the wheelie bars off, blah blah blah. That eighth mile, like small tire. I'm like, yeah, it's cool, like, but name any race outside of Donald's with a small tire that. That's why I want to know, like, where do they race other than his stuff? But they race put on tracks where three thousand people shows up and it looks like thirty thousand, right? Right. But is that's that the key? South, that that is South Georgia Motorsports Park with Donald runs. Like, races. like you sink all this money in this car to race four or five times a year. Is that it? The, the fact is, the answer is yes. The answer to that question is yes. So that's why it's a false equivalency to what anything is with NHRA. Like, it X275 is a great class. Like, all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not demeaning anything those guys are doing. But there is no chance in freaking life that there's any sort of race series with those guys. But is there a shot right. where they run a Schumacher, half a Connie, Force, do they support a car that goes and does that? Why? Yeah, that doesn't benefit them at all, right? Why? The answer is, it, it, you know, I just want to go drive listen, one for shits listen, and giggles. People, people want to beat talk those about, guys. People want to talk about how the you know, pro stock is a bad class financially. Let's talk about building a goddamn radio versus the world car that, that you costs, don't race that costs four hundred thousand dollars that you halt the racetrack at a badass half million dollar rig and toter home and race it four times a year. Twice, <laughs> we what, still twice that for, radial car. Twice for fifty grand. <laughs> what you're and saying most is, of the time for no money. Like when I was at what's Brandon, what's the biggest race that that they pay to win? Donalds, right? And how much is that? One hundred one thousand for uh, Radio vs. the World at uh, at South Georgia Motorsports Park at the, at the Sweet Sixteen. What you're saying is passion always trumps marketing. Oh, since forever. Since anything. <laughs> Only. Why do people run the Boston Marathon? 26,000 idiots show up. And get to, beat by a Nigerian every year. To puke and crap their pants <laughs> on the way to the goddamn finish line of Boylston Street of Boston. For what reason? Because it's passion. Just they, to say you were there? 
Just say you were there. Yep. And guess why rich guys build Radio vs. the World cars or jet cars or whatever? Because they were there. Right. Yep. But can we draw that into NHRA? I know you've been doing but, a lot of efforts towards yeah, getting there. Uh, to me, to me, the the idea is just making sure, like, the inclusion of a lot of this stuff that runs outside of NHRA to, to look inward is, like, the inclusion of, like, we don't hate you guys. Like, we screwed up in trying to include you, and we didn't. But, hey, like, we don't dis- dislike you. We want you to be part of our world and part of our events. But, like, I love doing the Duck X races at South Georgia Motorsports Park. It's insane. It's like being part of the Woodstock of drag racing every year. But there are more people in the first two sections of the bleachers in Epping than there are in the entirety of that facility. Like, that's, right. that's just the math. Right. You know, and he'll probably fire me for saying that out loud. <laughs> Honestly. But it looks good in it, the pictures. Yeah, it looks It looks right. Right, and it, it feels like that too. Like it's a great energy. It's like the Denver crowd compares to that, and we can't let the Denver crowd in the starting line because what we do. But like the crowd, and I don't know how you guys feel about this. Denver and Norwalk are always the best. The crowd in Denver is incredible. Yeah, they react to the things you say over the PA. You can see people like ah, it, they watch Super Gas guys run, and they're practically jumping out of the grandstands watching Super Gas. That's cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what it is in Georgia. These people are reacting to what's going on, and they're and they're packed in so tight, like it's a great environment. But in terms of like them coming in, you don't necessarily want that car, or those people coming in NHRA as much as you want those guys understanding. Like, hey man, like we're not trying to keep you out, right? Yeah, you know. Would you want to see NHRA racing come into Vegas? professional betting yeah 100%. i do yeah. yeah like why isn't it you can bet on any nascar race now can't you yeah i mean well they're your boys tried we well yeah we actually i mean yeah tell we, that story because <laughs> your boys tried we we tried what did what did they give us they gave us at vegas and it's a good thing oh that's right it's a good thing that that vegas I forgot about that the spring race well, vegas wouldn't take our bet but we actually we pulled we had a bunch of money because they that. gave us such shit odds and we had so much faith in ourselves that we were going to kick everybody's ass there. We ended up pooling something like six, seven, eight thousand yeah, dollars. It was a fair amount. It was a fair amount at what was it? 15 to one. Yes. I think is what yep, they, they gave so. us. So we actually went downtown to, well, I say we, uh, they went downtown to Vegas An outsider and out. Yeah. Somebody that we don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But went went down there and said, "I want this on Langdon." The guy was like, uh, "Basically, no, we can't take that. We don't have enough uh, bets to be able to cover that if if we end up losing that bet." So they said, "No bet." End of the day, we all got our money back. We didn't lose because we ended up. I think we smoked tires first round at that race. But uh, yeah, I mean, wide, yeah, yeah. But I mean that that would be awesome. I think that that that's stuff that we need to excel the sport to I the next agree. level. You know, get, be, being able to get it mainstream. It's just how do you get the NHRA names? Obviously, John Force is, is kind of his own entity in the sport. He's a legend. He's been around for a long time, made his own name. But outside of that, how do you get all the other drivers mainstream? How do you get them into the household to where the households know those names? And, and to me, that's what our job is. Like our job in the booth is to do that. And. It's not to be false about it. 
You know, yeah. If a guy is a great hitter in the MLB, guess what? The guys covering the MLB get this guy. This guy's a great hitter. Holy crap! Like this guy can hit the freaking baseball. If a guy's a great lever, like you need to talk about that. But I think it to me, the departure from historical stats and the move toward relevant to the moment stats is how we build you guys into a thing. And also the the realization that what you're doing is a real human activity like what we talked about before is as far as all the considerations that go into a run not that everybody needs to know every one of them they don't because mystery is a value in everything but to take it to the level of this is not just a guy going oh okay yeah get my belts tight I'm right just gonna go ahead and just oh hit the gas oh well, yeah, that was cool. Next week, yeah. that, that's whatever. What, that's why I always try to explain to people like, if you win a race, at the end of the day, like, you are worn out. It's not like because you're in there driving your ass off, like physically worn out. Like you're like mentally worn You've out. You've invested everything you have into doing. this. Yes, right. Yeah, correct. I think, yeah. it, and I think it's just the the adrenaline rushes, the highs and the lows, right. of, of getting yourself excited and getting back down to try to mellow out and take a deep breath before the next round, and then get back up and. You know, I think it's just all the the ups and downs. Yeah, you wake up the next day, you are flat ass worn out. Absolutely agreed. That's every day listening to Brian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the so, highs and the lows. Yeah. So Brian has Brian has yeah. heard this sales pitch probably half a dozen times, but I had the opportunity to bring this up actually in front of NHRA, and I'll say it to you guys. I think they need to make a rule change where your names need to be readable on the car from the top of the grandstands. And in every social media post so that people know who you are and not just, you know, who the sponsor is. Yeah, well, I I think he probably gets a lot of it. But, I mean, a lot of them. A lot of them mistake him for Antron Brown. Oh, I mean that's an easy mistake, right? <laughs> but like when I at used... least once a week. In... What? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but no, like when I'm I used... the other one. When I used to race, I'm the other one. <laughs> when I used that's to race bad. with with Lucas, I mean people. I drove the Lucas car. Well, they, I guess mistaken identity. They'd come up and assume that I was Morgan. So they come up and. Hey Morgan! Hey Morgan! Thanks for the autograph. Like, uh, yep, uh, sure, no problem, bud. So the, this is a conversation that we actually had watching previous shows where it's like we understand the value of a sponsor mention you know the sponsor mention on air is has value yes but i will promise you to the depths of my toes that when we get to pomona it is not going to be the uh global electronic technology car racing the dhl car it will be sean langdon versus jr versus jr todd like that we will get the sponsors in there, but like at the end of the day, like when you watch a fight, it is not Mike Tyson with the diehard battery sponsored, you know, trunks. Tyson. Yeah, like who yeah. gives a shit about that? It's you versus him. It's but him it only you. benefits the sponsor to make the driver a hero. That's right. why they've spent the money on that human or on that team. And, and to be very honest, Dodge has provided a model, you know, Mopar, Penzo, whatever you say, has provided a model for activating the driver as a part of that deal. Like they've, you know, you guys may cringe when I say it, but they've done a better job than anybody of making those drivers part of They're at SEMA. They're at PRI. They're at every freaking car show, you know, half-assed tractor show. Some guy opening up a goddamn, uh, you know, drugstore somewhere in West Poughkeepsie. They're there. Correct. So yeah. to me, it's like... I don't want to make your guys' lives more comf- more complicated, but like that's value. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I think that a lot of the activation side of things, that's what our sport needs to go to. Yeah. But it's it's getting these corporate companies involved. Yeah, and it's centralizing, to me, it's centralizing you guys as a, the figure as, as opposed to the Lucas car versus the U.S. Army car. No. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think a lot of a lot of that of the the driver gets lost in translation through. Yeah. A lot of you know the of all the different things of the sponsors of the car of what class you're driving. You can of, get out of the car and thank Lucas Oil. Correct. We can see that Lucas Oil's name's on the side of that car. I for the booth do not need to mention once in my life that you're in that car. Because unless Helen Keller is watching the goddamn television show, everybody knows that, Lu- that Lucas Oil is sponsoring the car. Watching? Right? <laughs> I mean, she was actively being Listening told hard. what was going on. How's the battery on the... Oh, it's going to die. Oh, we're... I mean, it's only one thirty in the morning, so we should probably... What? Going. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> we only need to be judging the J.E. Pistons Masters of Motors deal at uh, 8 a.m. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, but if you like, you got like a nice... Hangover going, you're going to be like so locked in and focused on that thing. Okay, like, oh, let's get it over with. Come on, <laughs> more pizza. All right, well, yeah. So, got a nice little three hour show in today. <laughs> that was good. I mean, this is at least we did it early. And the greatest thing is it had no value whatsoever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot got accomplished. Me. <laughs> well, we just it was a good good session. We solved all the world's problems. I mean, yeah. See you next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right well uh obviously I'd like to thank our guests for coming on this week hell yeah i guess i guess we'll just wrap it up right i mean before the video video's about to die facebook live's about to die so we'll uh we'll wrap this up thanks for everyone for uh for watching us i know it's late but uh thanks to these guys for coming out uh talk some drag racing i'm sure we'll see you at the show this weekend we'll see, yeah we'll maybe we'll go facebook live once at the or show. twice you guys yeah first on the carpet tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> Laying down like a corpse. Yeah, let me know what uh like behind what booth you guys are taking a nap at. I might <laughs> might join you. So uh yeah, make sure you guys uh tune in. Uh we'll probably come on next week. Are we doing next week? The following week for sure. We got a big guest come on as well. Okay. All right. So yeah, so we got that. So but uh make sure uh tune in to Nomex Effect. Obviously uh nomexeffect dot com. Um check out our YouTube channel and everything. So uh thank you guys for coming on. Hope you guys have a great week, uh yeah. PRI show. So if you guys come out to PR show, make sure to check us all out. Bonifying Friction booth, right, Nikki? Bonifying Friction. Oh, he's still alive. <laughs> Holy crap. I thought he was dead. Party at the, still here. Party too. at the Noodle tomorrow night. Slippery Noodle. West Bucks party. West Bucks party. You guys going to West Bucks party? Momentarily. <laughs> yeah. Make a brief appearance. I got like five hours of sleep coming away right now. So yeah, exactly. Not. It's overrated this week. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, See you guys in a couple weeks. See you guys.